Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Greetings from the panhandle of Florida. Here yeah, we're up in the upper uh, left corner, way up in the northwest of, of Florida, just under Alabama and near Mississippi and uh, not that far from Georgia on the other side. Uh, it's cold. It's still cold here, and I'm really getting sick of it. So let me just check the current temperature um, for Florida, because we're used to, you know, if it's anything under 70, we just we don't even go outside. <laughs> There's just no point. Oh, the weather's even my, even my phone is slow this morning. It's not even uh, getting to the temperature. It's interesting. I have an article on, on the creation of the thermometer, one of our uh, debates on the Action Radio Environmental Action Project. Oh, 34 degrees. Great. It's almost freezing. It's only two degrees above freezing. That's terrible. Anyway, so it's going to get up to a high, an outrageous high today for those of us. So it's sunny all day. That doesn't matter. Um, of like 50, 56. <laughs> it's not even going to hit 60 today. But what's interesting is that uh, Clear Nights proved the, uh, uh, the theory, that, uh, theory wrong about you know, so-called global warming, that CO2, which is probably constant in the air, all right, because, or, or whatever, it's, it's, it's uh, steadily increasing, which is actually a good thing. We proved that over and over again. But what's interesting is if, if uh, carbon dioxide is the main temperature controlling, you know, quote-unquote greenhouse gas, how is it that clear mornings are so much colder than cloudy mornings? Well, the answer is simple, because CO2 is not the most controlled gas. Uh, water is. Water vapor. And so water vapor is what makes, uh, you know, because water reflects uh, heat. And water absorbs heat, water retains heat, water reflects heat. That's what goes on. You know, that's, that's how the world works. Uh, land actually heats up faster than water. That's why it takes a while for your oceans to, to uh, warm up for your beach. That's why the ocean water in August is a lot hotter than June. You know, because it's that all summer to warm up, you know, uh, even though the days are a little bit shorter. And it takes longer to cool down, too. So land heats up and cools down by day. Water takes months. And uh, air, well, we're really not sure how the air works. I said the air is hottest closer to the land uh, and cooler as it goes up. And that's how you get rain, air cooling as it rises with a whole bunch of moisture. You know, uh, the water can't hold the moisture anymore, so it rains. All right, so that's how that works. So that's one of the many, many things. Today's kind of like a catch-up day. Uh, I'm still kind of, uh, I don't know, just either exhausted or mentally or, you know, I put a lot into uh, the big interviews. And the big one yesterday was with, with uh, Christina Bob, who is, uh, she's a, been a journalist. Uh, she's a Marine Adjutant uh, General um, Officer and, uh, you know, One American News. She's still One American News. And also Trump's lawyer for a bunch of stuff, particularly the Mar-a-Lago, uh, the illegal raid by the, uh, the illegal administration. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I should preface everything from illegal. But it was fascinating to have her on. And so I want to do a little recap of that. Uh, today, I started the show a bit later because, again, Shirley uh, can't be here today, so we'll, we'll talk to her next week. Um, I'm sort of – I need more gun reporters. <laughs> so if, you, if you're interested in firearms and, if you, and, and politics at the same time, then this would be a good time, a good time to uh, join us on Friday. So we have uh, um, this, this gap between 7 and 7.30. So Shirley's normally on 6.30 Central Time, so 7.30 Eastern. And so 6.30 to 7, first half hour I usually do. So 6 to 6.30 is usually me, Shirley from 6.30 to 7, me again from 7 to 7.30, and then Derek Park, our financial uh, guru, from 7.30 to 8. And then the last hour we just kind of uh, vamp. Well, today, you know, like, like I think the last couple of Fridays, I've been starting the show later because Shirley's not here. So to be consistent with those who are used to us starting at 7 o'clock, I just start at 7. It gives me more time to prep, more time for my tea, you know. And so we have a, a lot of things going on there. But um, – just because there's, 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 
no particular emergency today as far as action radio goes or as far as the news goes. You know, this is sort of like a catch-up day, and I'll be taking things as I feel like it. Maybe the shorter show, I don't know. I mean, I certainly want to uh, hear Derek's report, but uh, yeah, I, you know, I, may, I may do two hours. I don't know. It depends. Depends who calls in. Depends who wants to talk. So if you want to talk, this is a good day to do it. 215-383-3832. So we're missing our, our, our Mr. Science. Uh, that was a short-lived report. Sure, sure was fun. I really enjoyed talking to science on Fridays, too. So science reporters, you know, in fact, anybody who's, uh, who wants to try their hand at radio, this is a great place to do it because none of us are really what you would call radio professionals. You know, I have the most experience uh, just because I've been doing the show for, for uh, well, since March 1st uh, in uh, WBY and then here on Blog Talk Radio. And so, but most, most of our reporters, this is like their first regular, you know, radio gig. And everybody's, you know, volunteering to do this, which is great. Uh, but I think that's going to change. And I think yesterday is one of those days. Actually, the last, you know, month or so has been pretty incredible. And it really started last October with Peter Navarro. So Peter Navarro was our first big Trump administration guest. And my goal has always been uh, to connect with the Trump campaign because I knew he was going to run in 2024. In fact, everybody knew. <laughs> it's not like that was a secret. Uh, but I, I figured that was the best way for Action Radio to get our bills into the public. And so it's, it's been kind of a, a, a strategy to hopefully – and plus I really want to meet Donald Trump. You know, I mean, you know, my favorite president of all time, bar none. I mean, nobody comes close. And so and I wasn't even that big of a Reagan fan. It's kind of interesting. But uh, whoop, just almost dropped my phone there. Good thing I put it over my computer pad. There we go. Um, but anyway, so, so Trump, you know, he's the man with the vision. Uh, he's completely outside the system. And he's got the, you know, the big cojones to do what needs to be done. And I'm very curious to see what happens next time. Nobody else even comes close in terms of, in terms of what he's been through and what he, uh, you know, will do to uh, – you know, to help this country out. So that's why it's so interesting. So I've kind of been talking to different officials, hoping that we could get our bills before Donald Trump. Um, but also, I really wanted to talk to Christina Bob just because she's really interesting. You know, she's been following the election. She's been, uh, you know, with the Arizona audits and all the other things that have been going on. And, and now she's got the book out, you know, Stop the Steal. So the, you know, I'm just curious as some, how someone goes from a Marine uh, officer. And she was talking about you know, use of force and how she trains troops and, and that, uh, you know, and analyzing the capital from yesterday. I mean, that's a really great analysis. And then to go from that being in the legal court, being a lawyer, and I think she's State Department and then Department of Homeland Security. So she's got a bunch of government experience. And now, you know, private sector reporter, journalist, you know, reporting on government things that uh, within, with both the insider perspective of being in government uh, and in the military and the outsider perspective of being a reporter for One American News. So all this kind of ties in to make her really interesting, which is why I was glad to have her on the show. Uh, but in addition to that, it's just a huge benefit to be able to talk to someone that is that close to President Trump, because I believe that uh, that endorsement, you know, all, all the politicians line up to get endorsements, you know, for them, <laughs> you know, and I, I, at least I, I like to think, I hope to think, that we're doing this, yeah, it's going to be great for the show. It's going to be wonderful for the show uh, to have Trump's endorsement and have him on the show. But in, in, in actual fact, I can't think of any way, any better way to get our citizen legislation to the most people in the public the quickest way beyond, um, beyond having Donald Trump endorse Action Radio and start talking about our bills, especially he talks about our bills at rallies. You know? And I think that's one of the things to impress uh, Christine and Bobby yesterday is how simple the solutions are. You, know, you look at what we do here. It's incredibly simple, uh, you know, the, in, in terms of, of the legislation, in terms of, uh, you know, the bills, the one page. I mean, how much more simple can it get? You know, we take one issue, we take one tiny little piece of law that's causing all the problems. We don't mess around with other stuff. We don't complicate the bills. We go exactly for it. We're like, like surgeons here. We're like, um, I guess, legislative surgeons with a scalpel. 
you know, not a chisel, you know, not a sledgehammer. You know, most of the legislators, they go with sledgehammers. They have these big bills. They, they try to encompass everything in. And they're written by lawyers. And I think our bills are not written by lawyers. They're written by, you know, just us regular folks out here, me, um, now Diane Warner, who wrote the, the election integrity bill, which I don't think I brought up yesterday. <laughs> and so I think I, I kind of goofed on that. But, uh, but I sent uh, Christina Bob the bills, you know, our main bills, including election integrity, uh, big tech, uh, vaccine uh, liability, a constitutional amendment, and uh, sent her a couple of shows, including the one that we did January 6th, you know, the live one, you know, when uh, Jonathan and uh, Josie were there at the Capitol. And so this is this process is building. And, and so the days here, it's interesting. I'm either nervous or casual. Okay, yesterday I was nervous. You know, apparently I talk faster when I'm nervous. Today I'm casual. You know, we don't have a major guest. I don't have any major guests scheduled. I've got some shows to do. I'm starting to do more, uh, more other shows myself, which is really kind of fun especially the videos. So the idea has come up from a few places to start doing videos. So let me look into that, perhaps doing a, a Saturday, you know, video rumble thing, sort of like a sum of the week and just kind of talk about stuff. It might even only be like a five, 10 minute thing, but rumble is something I need to look into. So there's always all these places to go, all these projects to do all kinds of things like that to keep us busy. So yesterday there were some interesting revelations. I'm going to have to actually go to my notes. You know, I had, I had my notes really well prepared yesterday and that's unusual. Normally I'm not that organized, but if I only have half an hour, you know, I got to squeeze in what I can. And even then I think she had to leave after about 20, 25 minutes. So we uh, even cut that short, but that's okay. You know, I can, you know, when it's concentrated, you know, you ask the right questions in the right amount of time, you can get an awful lot accomplished. And so a couple of things were, were interesting from yesterday. Uh, the first one was Mike Pence. And her view of Mike Pence is very different. And I, I sort of I made a little note to myself here on my, on my show notes, nefarious versus incompetent. In other words, evil versus stupid. <laughs> you know, so, and, and this is something that uh, Dr. Peter Pry and I talked about a lot, you know, when he was on the show. Uh, unfortunately, he has left us now. He, you know, he passed on. I, I still believe from the COVID shot. But, um, but when, when Peter and I used to talk uh, about Washington, you know, it was, it was that same argument, nefarious versus incompetent. You know, in other words, evil versus stupid, you know, and he leaned towards stupid. He says these people are so incompetent, they can't do anything. Jonathan does that, too. And he's near the he's near Washington. Also, Jonathan's in Virginia up near the D.C. swamp. He tends more towards the incompetent versus evil theory. Christina Bob also, you know, I, I don't know where I think one American news is in San Diego, but she's in Washington all the time talking to bureaucrats, government people, things like that, and was leaning more towards the incompetent uh, versus the nefarious, you know, the, the stupid versus the evil saying that Mike Pence, and you can check the interview from yesterday, but talking about Mike Pence being, uh, you know, really, really not up to the job, not up to any leadership job. He's a coward. He's a wimp. He's really not in the right place, you know, any kind of leadership. Yet he was governor of Indiana for, I guess, one or two terms. And, uh, you know, Trump's vice president, but vice president only becomes, you know, a crazy job, you know, if you have to re replace the president. And uh, it's interesting that people have been picked for vice president. You really don't want uh, them actually doing uh, that job, especially Mike Pence or, you know, Kamala Harris and all, you know, we've got the associated problems with them. But where do you stand? Do you think that these people are evil or stupid? You know, I think most of the Brandon insurrection is purposely stupid because they don't want anybody smarter than Brandon. Well, that's a pretty low standard. It's hard to find people that incompetent, that stupid, but they managed to have do it, you know, in, in the Secretary of State's defense uh, transportation, you know, energy, uh, and virtually uh, Supreme Court, and virtually every, every other office, they've actually found people as incompetent 
you know, and as dangerously incompetent uh, as Brandon himself. And that was, a, that was a challenge right there. Anyway, so I'd be curious if anybody has a note or something like that to let me know uh, where you stand, you know, uh, on this, just this whole idea. And it's interesting that the further away you get from Washington, the more people tend to lean towards evil as opposed to stupid. And so that I thought was, it was very interesting. I guess maybe because the people in Washington, you know, they see these people, they, they look like regular people. <laughs> they look like normal folks. They just don't act like them. You know, so that was interesting. The other thing I found really interesting, too, was what happened um, under the Capitol. And so I believe that was where they got the talk. Now, Christine and I tend to agree that, they both, that everybody got a talk under the Capitol uh, and that nothing's in the congressional record on this. But where we disagree is what was actually said. I think our, I think I, I'm much more either conspiratorial or, or uh, believe you know subscribe to the theory that these people are just evil um, because I thought they got the talk that the arms were twisted that they were threatened with their campaigns with their their staff with uh, their committee chairs or their committee assignments or they were th- however however the leadership of Congress can threaten so the deep state the intelligence agencies you know Schumer uh, McCarthy you know Pelosi uh, McConnell all these folks the the leading Republican and Democrat uniparty. Uh, said to the members, you know, <laughs> do this or else. In other words, forget the Trump electors, put the Brandon electors in, you know, otherwise, you know, you're one of them. Now, uh, I believe that they did that because that was the coup, that they twisted the arms and said, you will vote for Brandon because Brandon's who we choose. That's what I think happened. Christina thinks something different. She thinks that the, the approach that came at them was, you don't want to be associated with those Trump people. You know, we're the establishment, we're the good guys, you know, we're, we're not, you know, we're the, we're the, we're the solid regular government that people have come to expect. You know, those Trump supporters are the radical mega, you know, wackos who are dangerous. You know, don't side with them, side with us, vote for Brandon electors. It's the same event, but two completely different, you know, ways of looking at it. And that's what's interesting. That's why, you know, it's one of the reasons I wanted to have her on. So I found that all fascinating. Uh, the differences that we had, and uh, something you can think about too. The other one where we agreed, but we just don't know what to do about it, is the 22nd Amendment. So I want to go over that for, for a minute, um, because I think this is the most interesting um, opportunity at this particular time. So the 22nd Amendment says, let me just pull my little constitution. I, think it's a different, I, can, I got a gift of a big constitution. I don't use it much because it's big. <laughs> Let's start using this one. I'm going to put, uh, make, it, uh, make it look like it's got some use to it. Section 9, Article 2. Oh, this is big. Amendment 20, 2022. Okay, so Amendment 22 says, No person shall be elected to the office of president more than twice, and no person who has held the office of president or acted as president for more than two years of a term to which some other person was elected president shall be elected to the office of president more than once. Now, this was actually February 27, 1951. I'm guessing this was a Roosevelt Amendment. In other words, they did, the Republicans did this because they didn't want another Roosevelt getting three presidential terms. And so uh, that's because 1951 would be six years after 1945 when Roosevelt died. This would have been during the Truman administration. I think Truman was only able to be elected to two terms, and I think he'd had enough by then anyway. Um, so, but the question is, let's, let's go over this carefully. Because what my conclusion and Christina's conclusion, too, and I guess a lot of other people, you know, is that uh, if Trump, you know, takes his term back with less than two years, you know, before January 20th, 2025, which would be January 21st, 2023, which was last Saturday, then he's good. He can run in 2024. So the question is, how do we get him there? So I would, I would I th- we, we need some kind of 22nd Amendment campaign. And so now we know that I'm not giving away secrets to Democrats. They already know this. They, they, they don't want us to bring it up. There's a reason Democrats haven't brought up the 22nd Amendment. 
because saying you can't use the Twenty Second Amendment because <laughs> they don't think we know, uh, but we do. And so, uh, so this is interesting. So let's go over this again. No person shall be elected to the office of president more than twice. Okay, good. So we're talking two terms. Makes sense. Then it says, and no person who has held the office of president <laughs> uh, or acted as president. Well, let's say Brandon's actually acting as president, even though he's not. This is, this is where you can use the, the words of the Constitution literally. So he's acting as president, even though he's not, for more than two years of a term to which some other person was elected president. Well, that would be Trump. So Brandon has acted uh, president for more than two years because we passed uh, January 20th, 2023. You know, so he was installed, you know, his regime, his illegal coup was installed January 20th, 2021. We all remember that day. Anyway, I just, I just uh, post the recording of our, our January 6th show. I know our January 6th show. I'm sorry, not January 20th. I should post the January 20th show too. But anyway, I post the January 6th show of 2021 with the live recordings of our folks there at the Capitol. Um, okay. So it says you're president more than one, more than, uh, for more than two years of a term to which some other person was elected president, shall be elected to the office of president more than once. Okay. So what it says basically is that Brandon, who has been acting as president, even though he's not, <laughs> okay, has served more than two years, you know, as of January 21st, which was last Saturday. So that means Trump, who was elected to the position, if he takes his, his job back at the White House, he will serve less than two years of his term to which some other person acted as president, and so he gets to run in 2024. And the question is, does he want to, or does he want to gear up for 2024? I think he should take the office back. So the question is, dear friends, (laughs) how does he do it? That might be Monday's show. How how do we get uh, Trump back into into the White House uh, and still have him run in 2024? Because you know the Democrats are going to scream, you can't do that. That's not what the amendment says, and they're going to lie about it. (laughs) So we need like the 22nd Amendment Club. And so I'm going to put a big note to myself here. 22nd Amendment. <laughs> so that's you guys. We need to come up with a strategy to, uh, to get uh, Donald Trump back into the White House uh, for the remainder of his term, less than two years, so he can run again in 2024. I think it would be fascinating. I think it would be really interesting to do. You know, we'll see what happens. Anyway, so that's kind of my recap. And then we talked about our bills. And like I say, I, uh, it was pointed out to me that I forgot the, the one bill, you know, our new bill that, um, that sh- I might have told her about, the election integrity bill, but I certainly sent it to her. So, uh, you know, considering she wrote a book on election integrity, yeah, I, I goofed on that. <laughs> but, you know, you, you get in the moment. You know, trust me, you try to do one of these big interviews, you know, especially you're trying to think of everything. You're looking at your list. You're trying to listen at the same time and push buttons. It gets, it gets very complicated. Anyway, so we're going to go through until Derek calls us at 730. Let's see if I can find you one of our many stories here that are of interest. I want to finish up on uh, what we were talking about yesterday and over several days, actually, uh, the debate and how far back it goes. Uh, I think it goes all the way back to Marbury versus Madison, 1803, shortly after our founding with the Supreme Court taking powers that they did not have uh, in terms of judicial review, quote, interpreting the Constitution and basically remaking America in, in their you know, judicialized as opposed to having it be done properly, you know, by we the people. So I found some, some things by Roger Stone, um, and I didn't really know who Roger Stone was. Democrats all know who Roger Stone They hate Roger Stone. That's why they had him arrested for, for nothing, trying to intimidate him. But I didn't know who he was. And it's funny that the Democrats, people they hate, that they think we all know about, we don't know about. So, the, so they made Roger Stone, you know, famous and a celebrity by arresting him for no reason and, and uh, having CNN, you know, get tipped off ahead of time so they could record the whole thing on camera. So this is by Roger Stone, January 25th. He says, how Warren Commission member Gerald Ford altered the official JFK autopsy diagram and report to conceal the truth about Kennedy's murder. 
This is fascinating. Ford, congressman, purportedly altered the Kennedy autopsy records to conceal the fact that JFK had been shot from both the front and the back. Well, now, isn't this interesting, Gerald Ford? You, know, you thought he was this honest guy. You know, he, he played football. He's all-American. You know, he, he pardoned Nixon. You know, why did he pardon Nixon? I think he pardoned Nixon to shut him up. You know, because once he's not in office, he, there's no reason for him to testify or, or, or be gone after. But, to, you know, because Nixon knows stuff or knew stuff. I wonder, if, I wonder if he made tapes of his own and they're, they're buried somewhere. I mean, this is, you know, this is, this, is, this is good conspiracy stuff. I love this kind of stuff. All right. He says uh, here, the official inquiry into the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, the Warren Commission appointed by President Lyndon Johnson, who I'm sure was involved in it also, right, uh, insisted that Kennedy was killed by three shots fired from the window on the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository Building by a single gunman. Yeah. In an old World War II rifle that didn't have a scope. Yeah hitting a moving, uh, moving vehicle. And the vehicle wasn't moving that fast, but a moving target is a lot different than a fixed target. You, you know, you get there and you're, and I've done a lot of long distance shooting. So you get there on your bench, <laughs> you know, and you got your scope and you, you control your breathing and the, the rifle is basically immobilized. It's not, you know, and that's one of the biggest problems. This is what, what they call offhand shooting. You know, when you stand up and shoot, that, that's never accurate because the guy's moving. Your arms are moving, your heart's beating, you're breathing. You know, it's, it's hard to do that accurately. So, you know, big targets close up are, are generally the rule. But if you want to hit something a long distance away, you're going to be prone. You're going to have that bipod. You know, you're going to be laying out there on the ground. You're going to be taking your time. You know, you're breathing. The rifle's not moving. And, and even then, and hopefully the target's not moving either. And that's the best way to do it. But this is different. This is really different. You've got to be an expert marksman to shoot a, a moving target with a gun without a scope. You know, in uh, with three shots in what five seconds or whatever it's supposed to be. Yeah. Anyway, so back to the article it says this claim of only three shots fired, all of them from behind the president, has been contradicted over time. Parkland Hospital emergency room Dr. Charles A. Crenshaw said in his book JFK: A Conspiracy of Silence that Kennedy suffered an entry wound in his throat as well as a blowout wound in the left rear of his head. This is pretty graphic. I'm sorry. Uh, this is both of them consistent with being shot at least twice from the front. By the time Kennedy's body reached the Bethesda Medical Center for the official autopsy, a tracheotomy had been performed on the dead president to obscure the frontal origin of the wound in his throat, and the blowout wound described by multiple doctors at Parkland was no longer reflected in the final autopsy. So you can't do that. <laughs> you know, this, is, this is proof of a conspiracy. Why would you change the autopsy reports? You know, if you know who did it, if you know it was some you know, whacked-out communist, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald, in a book depository with a rifle. Why would you alter anything? You wouldn't have to. I mean, the, the truth is fine. Well, apparently the truth wasn't fine. <laughs> so they had to alter it, right? So says FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover conducted his investigation into the Kennedy assassination in less than a week. Oh, well, see, now he's, I'm sure he's involved too. So Johnson, Hoover, the CIA director at the time, they're, you know, the deep state, right? Conducted his investigation into the Kennedy assassination in less than a week and essentially handed Warren Commission Counsel Arlen Specter, he was the, uh, the, the Senator Arlen Specter, I don't know what he was at this point, but he was Warren Commission uh, Counsel Arlen Specter, the conclusion that lone nut Lee Harvey Oswald had acted alone in killing Kennedy and had fired the fatal three shots from the Texas School Book Depository building. See, that's the part that nobody, that nobody really believes, that one person, and why? You know, why would he do that? You know, because you know if you get caught, it's a death sentence, right? You know, and uh, so why would he, I don't think everybody's ever really explored why. I mean, I see the shows, they, they have the how, and they try to explain that, and they try to explain a bunch of other things. But what, what you know, was there a payoff? Who's going to pay him off? Was he doing it purely for political reasons? Kennedy was doing a great job. 
You know, he kept us out of uh, – well, he didn't keep us out. But he, was, he didn't escalate Vietnam, which is, that's probably what got him killed. You know, he didn't you know, rush in to uh, attack Cuba and overthrow Castro. You know, even, I'm sure that's what the government wanted too, you know, the deep state. Uh, he wasn't a permanent war class person. He wanted to go to the moon you know, rather than create wars and make everybody rich. <laughs> so, I mean, he was doing all the things that the deep state didn't want, much like Trump. So I worry about Trump uh, just because, just because. You know, I mean, I don't trust the deep state. If they can steal the government, they can do all the other things that coups do, and it usually doesn't end up well for the for the person that was duly elected. So anyway, the article says, Council on the Inspector, the conclusion that lone nut Lee Harvey Oswald had acted alone in killing Kennedy. Nah, I don't believe that for a second. Last paragraph, both the claim of the Warren Commission that there were only three bullets fired and that all three bullets have been fired from behind the president would require a shocking change in both the official autopsy diagram submitted by Kennedy's doctor as well as the denial of the physical evidence collected by the Warren Commission. <laughs> Interesting. It says, in fact, the Warren Commission member, Gerald Ford, then a congressman, purposely altered the Kennedy autopsy records to conceal the fact that JFK had been shot from both the front and the back. Let me say that again. JFK had been shot from both the front and the back, which would, of course, expose the existence of multiple gunmen or women. You know, I said that, you know, and thus a conspiracy. Both the Associated Press and the New York Times accurately reported that Ford had made the material change when the Warren Commission records documenting his history were declassified in 1997. Hmm. According to memoirs of one of Hoover's deputies at the behest of the FBI director, Ford changed the description and autopsy diagram depiction of the location of the wound in Kennedy's upper back to the base of his neck to accommodate the government's now largely discredited single bullet theory, also known as the magic bullet theory, holding that JFK had been shot solely from the rear and that only one of the three bullets fired hit both Kennedy and Governor John Connolly, the governor of Texas. In essence, the description of the wound in JFK's upper back was moved to his rear neck to conceal that JFK had been shot in the throat from the front. Isn't that interesting? So these people are definitely marksmen, you know, and uh, they're snipers, they're, they're sharpshooters, and this is what they do, right? This is like Lon Horiuchi, who killed Randy Weaver and who knows how many Branch Davidians. You know, same, Lon would have been there. <laughs> you know, it, it, if they said to Lon, hey, Lon Horiuchi, we're assassinating the president, would you like to join us? Oh, yeah, I'm there. <laughs> of course he'd be there. All right, I can't prove that. I'm just, I'm just speculating. Don't mind me. It says, uh, article says, according to the memoirs of, okay, where I read that, just single bullet theory, okay, fine. Back to the article. FBI documents uh, declassified in 2006 detail even more about the crucial role Ford played in doctoring the autopsy to accommodate the cover-up. Now, this is why he was made president, because he was in on it. You know, you always, you, you always make people, uh, put people in powerful positions who, who you have dirt on. <laughs> Isn't that standard operating procedure in politics? You know, so whoever's got the most dirt you know, controls whoever's in office. And, and so apparently Ford, you know, a sweet, mild-mannered Gerald Ford who stumbled a lot. Nah, that wasn't the real, that wasn't his real value. His real value was he was in it up to his neck in the illegal stuff. Changing evidence, fabricating stuff. Yeah, deep state. Okay. I mean, what's the difference between that and fabricate and, and changing the COVID results or the, or the CDC fabricating stuff or, or calling somebody who dies of a motorcycle accident a COVID death? What's the difference? You know, you're changing death records to change the narrative. So they changed the narrative on Kennedy, and they changed the narrative on COVID. I mean, it's the same stuff, same deep state, same intelligence committee, you know, same, same FBI, CIA, who knows who else, NSA, you know, NRO. I mean, pick, pick it at DIA. I mean, pick one. Pick one of the alphabet intelligence agencies. Nothing's changed. <laughs> See, that's the part that I find the craziest. Nothing's changed. It's exactly the same stuff they've been doing all the time. Wow. 
FBI documents declassified in 2006 detail even more about the crucial role Ford played in doctoring the autopsy to accommodate the cover-up. Bingo. Assistant FBI Director Carla or Cartha Diki Deloach. Well, there's a mouthful. Cartha, C-A-R-T-H-A, Diki, D-E-K-E, Deloach, D-E capital L-O-A-C-H, regularly met secretly with Ford to inform the FBI on the status of the Warren Commission investigation. <laughs> so much for a secret investigation. Ford indicated he would keep me thoroughly advised as to the activities of the commission. That's from Deloach, uh, who wrote this in a, in a memo. It says he stated this would have to be done on a confidential basis. However, he thought it should have been done. He thought it should be done. Hmm. So in other words, Ford doesn't mind doing things that are illegal as long as they're done in secret. Sound familiar? The Associated Press reports in 1997 that Deloach wrote a memo on December 17th, 1963, oh, the anniversary of the Wright Brothers' first flight, about a, me- that was me. <laughs> about a meeting with Ford in which Deputy FBI Director laid out a problem. Two members uh, of the kitchen brought up the fact that they were still not convinced that the president had been shot from the sixth floor window of the Texas Book Depository, Deloach wrote. These members failed to understand the trajectory of the slugs that killed the president. He, Ford, stated he felt his point would be discussed further, but of course would represent no problem. Indeed, we can now see what Ford meant by no problem. In other words, yeah. Oh, there's more to this article. Eh, if I want to get too much more, I'm kind of, uh, I think I pretty much covered it. Anyway, let me get more comments. Let me just see if, this, uh, let's see if I want to read more of this. We've got Derek joining us any second now, so that's going to be good. In fact, Warren Commission member Gerald Ford, then a congressman. Okay, I already read that, read that, read that. Um, I don't think there's much. You get the idea. Get the idea of what's, what's going on here. So uh, just I'll get the, the last. Um, no, actually, this is kind of interesting. Maybe I should go through this. Well, see how much I get before Derek is here. It says here, more specifically, the, the problem is Deloach. Uh, the problem is the problem Deloach describes. The declassified initial draft of the Warren Commission report stated a bullet had entered his back at a point slightly above the shoulder to the right of the spine. This description matches that of JFK's personal position. Admiral George C. Berkeley, B-U-R-K-L-E-Y, who attended the autopsy at Bethesda Naval Medical Center and noted that the wound was in the upper posterior above about even with the third thoracic vertebrae. Oh, there's Derek now. Okay. So pick up our, our, our conspiracy theory and all that other stuff in a little bit. I want to talk, uh, talk money. And uh, I think I'm going to use my voice a lot. Maybe I have a little cold or something like that. I think I, I'm, a, I'm a little more gravelly uh, than usual, but that's okay. Let's, let's talk... Uh, Let's talk money here. Let's get the Derek. Derek, here we go, and let's uh, see what's going on in the financial world. Money. What is it? How does it work? How do you get it to work for you? So many choices: stocks, bonds, mutual funds, commodities, and then there are the markets: oil, gold, manufacturing, trade, energy, even government. To make sense of all the places your money can go, Derek Park of Edward Jones Financial Advisors joins us Fridays at this time to make sense of the markets and your money. Good morning, Derek. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Having a great time. Delving into my conspiracies, reveling in my uh, fabulous interview yesterday. We were lucky enough to get Christina Bob uh, on the show, one American news reporter, Trump's attorney, uh, Marine. Uh, judge, adjutant general, um, you know, trainer of military forces, uh, force, you know, escalation reduction, that kind of stuff. That was, a f- I don't have a chance to hear it, but if you do get a chance, that was incredible. And she's only on for about 25 minutes, but uh, this could change everything. 
you know, if I can digress into action radio for a minute, because if, uh, and she's going to take some of our legislation to president Donald Trump, if he likes what we're doing here, our world changes. I mean, like overnight. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm yeah. hoping. That's, that, that's where I hope this goes. But, uh, you know, now it's, it's, it's very possible. We've had Peter Navarro on, uh, we're getting amazing guests like uh, Dr. Peter McCullough. We just had Robert Spencer on, uh, Christina Bob was just on. We have more, you know, folks I'll be talking to, there's, there's people kind of in the pipeline, as they say. But this is going to be, you know, and of course that show is off the charts in, in terms of, of audience. Um, but um, it's, we're getting there. It's happening. Everything that's, you know, our, our, our freedom, you know, our bills, our legislation, the whole concept of a citizen legislature attached to a radio show uh, is, as I always knew it was, not only a viable, but a potentially huge new concept and effect on American politics. How's that for a mouthful? That'll wake you up. Yeah, man, that's a, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, that's where we are. So this year, you know, last year was good. This year's going to be fabulous. Next year, the presidential election year, oh, boy. <laughs> you know, I can only speculate, you know, how much uh, a part we'll be playing in it, but uh, I think it's going to be pretty strong. So I yeah, hope you don't right. mind being a public right. figure. You know, get prepared to be a public figure <laughs> or, or change your name. Well, you know, I, I might have to get a little bit more, a uh, little bit more conservative on what what we talk about. You know, I mean, the the larger mm-hmm. it gets, because, I mean, I've got left and right limits, and, uh, you know, I mean, with with what I do, I I, uh, mm-hmm. I kind of expand on things that I probably shouldn't. <laughs> so, well, and, and that's something to think about too. You know, so uh, you know, this is this is probably an off the air chat, but think about what you want to do, and as as many limitations you want to put on. Again, I can, you can always say, "Well, that's your opinion, Greg." <laughs> you know, or you can say that, or you know, and and stuff like that. And maybe maybe we need to tailor the report a little differently. You know, it's one thing. Right. You know, as we're trying to break through the censorship, it's another thing. But seriously, we get Trump's endorsement, we're all going to be scrutinized here pretty carefully, including me, especially me. Yeah. You know, so if all of a sudden you see me off Facebook. <laughs> You know, off everywhere, uh, you know, the, as they try and make me disappear. Like, I'm not going anywhere, I'm gonna, you know, and Block Talk mm-hmm. likes what we're doing. So that's the main thing as, as far as the radio show goes. And uh, right, so right. It's, uh, we do not have, you know, but it's, I, and I'm telling everybody this, I'm joking, but I'm not joking. In other words, it's consider the mm-hmm. fact that the potential is there for us to be, you know, a very public show, you know, considering the people we're talking to now. So that's something to consider. And uh, let me know what you can and can't do. You know, I'm a little, like I say, I'm, I'm more than happy to chat off the air. But uh, everybody yeah, needs yeah, to consider yeah. that these days. Yeah. Well, does that affect financial okay. markets? Do you, do you see the government trying to influence, um, now that we're on the subject, you know, how people report the financial news? You know, give us good news, you know, or else. <laughs> you know, do you see that kind of stuff at all happening? No. I mean, really, to be quite honest, especially when there's, um, even when there's good stuff going on, um, I see a lot of doom and gloom. Um, you know, so, um, I'll tell you, even when things have a reason to improve, um, you know, there's always, there's always articles that keep you in fear. And I mean, that's, I mean, I, I tell people, look, that's the news's job. You know, I mean, they, they, uh, they don't get paid to, to tell you there's roses and rainbows outside. Yep. Um, you know, so, uh, they get paid to keep you in fear and, you know, I mean, I think they do a good job of it, you know, so people mm-hmm. are like, well, this is supposed to happen. And I'm like, if you sit there and plan on things that are supposed to happen, um, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, your life is going to be miserable. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it, it's, uh, you know, you, you, you live your life and I mean, you plan for the things that you, that you know to be and, and, you know, you know, that, uh, 
you know, have certain outcomes. I mean, and, and you know, you, you work with changes. Um, you know, it's uh, when it comes to the markets, you know, people mm-hmm. are like, well, this is going to happen. Well, I mean, you know, that's the risk you take. You know what I mean? Like you, you take the risk that it either A won't or B does. Um, you know, so, or, or, uh, a, a won't or B does. And, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, when you, when you, when you, uh, hang on to it, you know I mean? You either profit or you buy it while it's low and wait for it to recover and there's your profit. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how so, much of uh, people's decisions in the psychology is wishful thinking. You think it should go up, therefore it should go up. Therefore, if it doesn't go up, you know, it, it's, it's, it's their fault because they're not matching your expectation. Did you see a lot of that kind of stuff? I mean, some of that happens. I mean, it, it's okay. very true. You know, people, I mean, it, uh, you know, for folks that I invested a year ago, you know, I mean, if they had expectations they were going to make money, I mean, they're they're sadly mistaken. I mean, they're probably down anywhere between 10 and 25% depending on how mm-hmm. risky they were. You know, so, you know, it's, it's uh, some people, I mean, they judge, they judge the relationship based off of that one year. And I'm like, listen, you know, when, when I showed you how investments work, did I show you a one year look? No, I showed you a 10-year look. <laughs> you yeah. know? So yeah. I showed you a five-year look. I showed you how things look over time. I said, you can't, you can't judge what happened over the past year, you know, mm-hmm. which is, is partially predictable. In a rising interest rate environment, you know, I mean, you, you expect that equity markets are going to take a hit. Did we expect that the Ukraine was going to get invaded? No. Um, <laughs> you know, that's just kind of icing on the cake. Did we expect that there was going to be food shortages based on that? No, that's icing on the cake, right? You know, so, um, you know, a market take a little bit worse of a hit, um, you know, because of the things going on. It's just that's that's the unpredictable part of stuff. Yeah, I wonder how the market, you might refresh my memory on this, and how they reported, you know, when Brandon took over. You know, back in uh, 2021, you know, did, was the market excited? This, oh, great, Trump's gone. This is going to be great. Everything's going to be wonderful. Or did they say, uh-oh? <laughs> you know, they, they they actually were. Um, you know, 2021. You know, the, uh-huh. the expectation was, okay, yeah, we're going to have another great year. There's a new guy in office. You know, everything's going to be good. And it actually was a very, I'd call it a mediocre year at best. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, there there was returns, um, you know, but they weren't they weren't spectacular like they had been, um, you know. Um, and then obviously, uh, spending bills kind of come in. Inflation was on its way up during 2021, um, mm-hmm. you know. So by the time we hit 2022, you know, inflation was was really on the move. You know, I mean, um, it, it was it was uh, spiking, I guess, in 2021. Um, not as bad. It started really um, even worse in 2022. Mm. Well, you know, spending is always the big thing with me, and um, this lie that keeps being perpetuated. Uh, I sent you, actually, or I think I tagged you in a New York Times, uh, Wall, it was a Wall Street Journal article, saying that the real problem is debt. It's not the debt increase. And yet every article out there is, is pulling the same propaganda. We have to increase the, the debt ceiling. There's no other option. There's nothing else we can do to meet our obligations. I'm like, why don't you just have your obligations meet the debt ceiling rather than try and make your debt ceiling meet your bogus obligations? And that just doesn't get reported. So that entire story is missed. That entire you know, truth uh, is gone. And the narrative is well, we have to keep increasing the debt ceiling. You know, without knowing exactly the effects of that, and knowing that that creates inflation, they say it doesn't exist. So, there, is it is it uh, just you know, uh, I mean, what's going on? <laughs> and why aren't the, the the reporters, you know, saying yes, there's another option. We could cut spending, keep spending the same. Uh, we could, or at least some articles are saying when they report the Republican view, they're saying well, they want one dollar of debt, you know, uh, increase matched by one dollar spending cuts. I don't know if that's bogus. First of all, you're not going to get it. You're only going to get the debt increase. And secondly. 
you need to hold the debt ceiling where it is and, and just massively cut the spending because we spent, what, $7 trillion since, since COVID in the last three years? Some ridiculous amount of money above what we take oh, yeah. in? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, huh. so, so the government, uh, I think they, they, their, their uh, income is right under $4 trillion per year. It's like $3.8, 3900000 down. You know, I mean, if you look at it like this, you know what I mean? The, the current debt's at, what, $31 trillion? Um, mm-hmm. You know, so cur- current debt at $31 trillion. If the U.S. just said, okay, we're not going to spend anything, any more money on anything else. We're just going to start paying our bills. It would take them roughly seven and a half years to pay off that debt, right? right. Seven and a half mm-hmm. years just by, by easy numbers, right? So really what it says is by us keep, keeping doing what we're doing and paying our bills like our are, if we were to just kind of curb spending and at least get it to where we weren't overspending, um, mm-hmm. it would take us roughly um, 30 years for us to pay off that debt. Right. Right. So um, that being said, if you look at where our national deficit is in comparison to other countries that are way worse, um, Mm -hmm. how the ability for what we produce, for what we have to pay it off is actually not a bad ratio. So I'm not giving a story on raising the debt ceiling, but if they were to raise it, um, all the statistics that I've seen and articles that I've seen until it goes over like I think it's forty-five trillion or fifty trillion. I think it's um, fifty last then, week. Yeah, let's do fifty. Yeah, nice round um, number. I, <laughs> because, yeah, because it's five I, trillion I more to play with. That, yeah, that is where the huge, huge concern starts to come in. That's like kind of past the point of no return. That it's going to take us, you know, fifty, sixty years to pay this back, and it's unrealistic on how much money that would be made. You know, mm-hmm. that's where there it continues to spiral out of control because the interest starts carrying more than we could pay back. <laughs> yeah, but, that's the definition uh, of bankruptcy, you know, though, isn't I mean, that? If, if you have to borrow money oh, to oh, pay absolutely. back the interest on borrowed money, that is bankruptcy, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you, okay. but, but, you know, I, I, I think, um, you know, if, if they do get control of spending, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, it, it would turn into a non-issue. My personal concern, um, you know, the biggest issue, I think, is, is what they're doing with Social Security, Right. So Social Mm -hmm. Security, I mean, they've already said that they're going to increase Social Security tax, which is supposed to extend it from 2035 where they're going to get problems to, um, I think, like 2060 or 2070 or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And then they're also talking about investing in the general account rather than just buying government bonds and things that are safe. Um, you know, buying, buying, you know, stocks and mutual funds and stuff and putting it in the general fund. Um, which, in my personal opinion, they should have been doing a long time ago. But the problem is, is you know, everything that government touches turns to crap, right? So <laughs> as soon as they get more, as soon as they get more involved in, you know, the investing inside of there, I mean, just look at look at the problems that may arise from that. Yeah. Do you think that the um, the, the government folks actually believe this Keynesian nonsense that government spending is good for the economy, knowing full well the government can only spend what they've already taken out of the economy? Uh, and wasted a right. portion of, um, or do they just, or they just do it because they just like spending money, and that's their excuse. That's their, that's their BS. It's like the, the BS of we have to, you know, raise the debt ceiling, or we're going to default on our debt. When we could easily change our debt, and uh, you know, still remain under the debt ceiling. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I find it fascinating myself. 
Um, you know, I mean, it, it is something that should be brought to light. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's the current problem that's going on right now. I mean, you've got one side of the government that says, hey, let's keep spending, let's keep everything the same. You've got the other side of the government that says, you know, hey, we need to kind of kind of slow this down a little bit and take a look at what we're doing. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's uh, I mean, it's it's. It's sad to say that, you know, knowing the issues that are going on in our country, that they can at least come together and say, okay, for the good of the country to allow it to recover, maybe we do need to slow down. You know, I mean, it's, uh, it, it should, in my personal, personal you know, mind and how I feel, should be a, a higher consideration than it is. Yeah, I think it should be a lot higher. Uh, I got Bianca in the line. I want to get to the report, but I got, I got one more question uh, on our, our constitutional amendment to uh, take away the power of Congress to borrow money. Do you know of any writers, whether it's Wall Street Journal or anywhere, anybody who would help advocate that who's like a recognized, known, you know, financial person? I mean, I'd love to get Stephen Moore on it, but uh, that'd probably be my first choice. But do, do you know or, you know, where, where I can go to find the person that would write about this in, in, a, in a favorable light and actually present it? Anybody come to mind? No, no. no. I mean, I, I, I haven't seen anything, to be quite honest. Okay. All right. Well, let's get the report and let's get Pianchi's point, uh, just because I think we'll forget the report once we all get talking, which we, we tend to do. So let's do that. And I'll, I'll, find, I'll find somebody to cover it. I think Stephen Moore may be the choice. Okay. So where, where are we on our, mm-hmm. on our financial report, sir? And feel free to say page three. All right. Well, <laughs> I've, got it. <laughs> I've got it pulled up, so we'll get started here. All right. Well, uh, good morning, everybody. This is Derek Park with Edward Jones, bringing you the daily financial market report. Markets rise on surprisingly good GDP growth. Markets rose sizably on the back of the GDP report that uh, showed surprising strong GDP growth despite higher prices and falling consumer demand. Growth already in stocks outperformed value style as investors give more credibility to the Fed's soft landing narrative. Bitcoin, another indicator for investor appetite, was also up today, well above recent lows. And in the bond market, yields were little changed, and the 10-year is still below 3.5%. International markets also took the U.S. GDP news well, with the European and Asian shares rising. Page two, (laughs) U.S. equities closed higher today, with the Dow Jones up 206 points, or 0.61, to 33,949. NASDAQ closed up 199 points, or 1.76, to 11,512, and the S&P 500 closed up 44 points, or 1.1%, to 4,060. Uh, again, in the bond market, Treasury yields are trading at 3.49%, higher by 0.03. In the commodity markets, crude oil was up 91 cents, or $1.14, to 81.06, and the spot price of gold was down $12.20, or uh, negative 0.63 to $1,930. Uh, this is Derek Park of Ever Jones, member SIPC. You can get me at 850-995-0082. Hmm. You know, it's interesting. The price of oil, the price of gasoline is increasing a whole lot faster than the price of oil. I want to talk about that a minute, but I want to get Pianchi on and, uh, and see his point. Good morning, sir. Pianchi, welcome back. Good morning. How are you? Oh, great time. It's Friday. I get to sit around and plan next week all weekend. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm, have you ever heard of the Hancock Amendment? It was a Southwest Missouri businessman, Dale Hancock. And he put a proposition on the ballot in Missouri in 1980. It's called the Hancock Amendment. He passed the 55% of the vote. And what it done is that 
A basic control on state government was the limit on how much money could be extracted through taxation. If revenues exceed the limit by more than 1%, the excess has to be refunded. And by doing that in 1995 to 1999, the state spent $971 million in refund checks to individuals and businesses. And when the next governor came in and asked the lawmakers to put a tax increase on the ballot, as the state faced the budget shortfall of nearly $1 billion, lawmakers said no, and he had to cut spending, including funds for public schools to balance the budget. What do you think about that? Derek? I mean, I, I guess uh, in my personal opinion, I mean, if if that's what it is, but I mean, I, I hate the fact that public schools were the first ones to get the chop. You know, I mean, like, uh, um, you, you know, it's, it's it, it, if you take a look at government spending and what they spend money on, if you take a look at special projects, you can typically get more money from special projects. And these are things that are outside of the purview of what needs to be done in the government, basically, um, than taking away from our public systems. You know, that that includes roads and, and, and you know, a bridge improvement and, you know, public building improvement, things of that nature. So, I mean, I, that amendment maybe is something our federal government needs to consider. Well, yeah, it should. Though. You know, he also yeah. – he cut taxes on some pensions and removed the general revenue sales tax on food. And the, the support of schools went back to the local communities because we have some communities like Clayton – and Ledoux that received 97% of the operation budget for its public schools comes from the local community. They receive about the rest from the state and nothing at all from federal government unless some students are indulged in those uh, free and reduced lunch programs. Right. Well, you know what it is? There's a, there's a punishment angle to this, too. I mean, this is what happens. It happens in California. It happens everywhere I've ever seen that when, you know, a, a government is faced with spending cuts that they don't want, they want to make it as painful as possible. When the government, you know, the federal government shut down, first thing Obama closed were the national parks. You know, of course, I've been a tour guide at the time in San Francisco, you know, dependent on national parks, you know, like, uh, you know, Alcatraz, you know, because I brought a lot of Alcatraz on our tours, you know, things like that. So that hurt our, all our businesses, but they didn't cut the things that they could have cut all their perks, all their benefits, all the waste, all the ridiculous duplication, things like that. So they cut the things that the public will see immediately. Education, police, roads, that is just standard operating procedure. That's how that works. Yeah, I think that's disgusting in my per- personal opinion. It is, but, you know, but that's what they yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, what's going on with the way Look like prices? in this. Oh, go ahead, Pianchi. Okay. Well, look like in this, what he done, he threw the responsibility back on the communities where it should be. The communities should pay for those schools. Now, of course, there's a, a formula which the whole state utilized, but ultimately, like those two cities I made mention to them, they pay for the bulk of the school. They take nothing from the federal government because they don't want the input and uh, the strong arming. And uh, they have some of the highest achieving uh, performances from those two school districts compared to the rest of the state. Yeah. Let's, uh, this is interesting. I want to get back to, to financial stuff. So uh, municipal bonds, I don't think we've ever really talked about those, Derek. So this is, isn't that how schools are built? Isn't that how bridges, a lot of local projects are done? And isn't the capital budget of education different than the academic budget, like the teacher salaries and things like that? 
How do municipal um, bonds I don't know about the capital budget, but, the, uh, you, you know, municipal bonds is exactly how all that stuff is done. That is correct. Okay. Well, we should, we should talk about municipal this bonds. Yeah. yeah, so so municipal, you got you got several different kinds of bonds. You got uh, several different kinds of municipal bonds. Um, mm-hmm. You have uh, uh, GO government obligation, and you have revenue bonds, right? Um, the difference between the two really is is you know government obligations are ones that you know those are your schools and things like that, and then revenue bonds are um, you know ones like um, um, I would say hospitals, but not all hospitals fit into that. Um, you know, certain things or, or even bridges, toll bridges, that's a better one. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, it is a government bond, but it's dependent upon the revenue that comes in off of that bond, right? Oh, okay. So you get your dividends and interest paid, paid, paid by those revenues, right? So um, anyway, government bonds, what they do, what the government says is if you're building any project that helps the public, i.e. bridges, schools, things like that, we'll allow you to fund it. Um, tax-free, basically, you know, so Mm -hmm. what that is, is, uh, you know, people buy these bonds, and then the dividends that are paid on them, or the interest, rather, is all tax-free, you know, so typically, uh, they have limitations on how, what the interest rate is, which also is established by the Fed funds rate, you know, Mm -hmm. but they'll, they'll um, have limitations on how high the interest is, because, um, you know, these projects typically don't produce a lot, um, you know, so the government kind of limits them on what they can what they can make and what they can produce. Right. So, um, you know, really, I guess it's a you know, these are these are loopholes you use for for wealthy folks uh, to avoid more taxes. Interesting. OK, so to get back to Bianchi's point, if, that if, if loophole, the government's being limited. All right. Go ahead. That, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. That's all right. I said I don't want to call it a loophole. It's not necessarily a loophole. Hole. That's a that's a poor terminology. It's it's okay. uh, would be better to say that it's a uh, an, an opportunity because I mean they've been around forever. Makes sense. Well, I, I know if you want an interesting case study, we should talk about the Golden Gate Bridge and the Oakland Bay Bridge because uh, I think those were actually private bonds. They were privately funded at first because the government it was in, we're in the middle of the depression. They didn't have the money for it. Um, but that makes an interesting thing. But back to Pianchi's point, if the government is giving back money that they should give back because they're not spending it. And then all of a sudden, the next governor comes in and says, we're going to punish you. You know, could, could that be an alternative for people to say, okay, well, yeah, we're still going to give money back to people because you're not spending it, which is right. This is what the law says. But if you're worried about expenditures, you can do more things like municipal bonds. It, do, you know, it's like they, they, they want money. They don't think of any, any alternatives. There's never, a, there's never a, another situation or a solution that they think about. It's always, you know, you, if you're going to do this, we're going to punish you. We're going to take away your schools. We're going to take away your roads, take away your police, fire, you know, your ambulances, and all that kind of stuff, just because how dare you consider cutting our budget? That's what it sounds like, rather than look mm-hmm. for alternatives. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. I might do that next time. We'll look into our, our budget because I believe it was that's how Bank of America was created. That um, if I remember my, my history of San Francisco, because it started in San Francisco, it used to be the, the Bank of Italy. And so Andanucci maybe is someone. Uh, I mean, that's, I forgot the name of the person that started. Anyway, Italian-American, you know, in San Francisco started. And where he made his fortune was after the 1906 earthquake. He was the only person that would loan people money. You know, he's a local person, local business guy, and he loaned people money to rebuild after the 06 earthquake. Well, because he was the only one making loans, when these businesses restarted, he was the only one making money, and he turned that into the Bank of America. So it actually was a good deal. And I think part of it, 
uh, financing later was the Golden Gate and the Bay Bridge in 1936, I believe. Those were, uh, those were being built. So here's a question for mm-hmm. you. People that say we can't do things you know, in bad economic times, we built these amazing bridges. The things that were done during the Depression, the Hoover Dam, you know, the, the, the Bay and the Golden Gate Bridge and some of the other things that were built were really incredible. How do we do that in the Depression? Ooh, I, I mean, I'd, I'd have to go look at where the resources and stuff came from. Maybe oh, I would just... assume that, uh, you know, it created jobs and opportunities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you, you know, where did the, the money and funding come from? I mean, I'd have to go look. I don't know. Well, bonds. It was private. Those were privately funded bonds, which is kind of interesting. So there's money there. You know, and people say, well, we can't, yeah. if the government cuts money, we need to cut things. We don't. There's always an alternative. Yeah. And, and people never consider the alternatives. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, right. Gas prices. Have you noticed in our, in our local area here, prices are up you know, what, a lot, you know, almost a dollar yeah, in the yeah, last they are, month? They are, definitely. So, yeah, I'm not, not, not sure why. I would assume maybe that's, that's tax-related, um, you know, but, uh, uh, but, yeah, not sure, to be honest. But our gas tax isn't that high. What is it, 25 cents a gallon or something here in Florida? Yeah, I don't, so know I, I'm not sure exactly what it is. Yeah, I know it's different per county. I know that. And I know it's more expensive than Alabama because, you know, I mean, Alabama being so close, the gas is about 25 cents to 30 cents cheaper over there. So I guess if you're close enough to the Alabama border, it's worth buying gas there. Ah, competition. I love yeah, it. Right? Yeah, I'm a little too far yeah. to, get to drive out there just for, for 25 cents a gallon, but you never know. Pianchi, how are gas prices yeah. where you are? Have you noticed a big jump? Let's see if this is a, a national problem. Well, when, all during the time that Donald Trump was in office, gas was around a dollar sixty-five, dollar seventy-five cents a gallon. Mm-hmm. And when Joe Biden came in, that's when they went up. Right now, it's about three, three fifty, three seventy a gallon. That's about what it is here. Yeah. Okay. Has, yeah, has how, old... was it, how was it so low when when Trump was in office compared to Joe Biden? Is the question. No, we know the answer. Derek, I'll let you take this one. This is this is our softball question of the day. <laughs> Feel free. Oh, I mean, you're you're talking about the prices. I mean, I mean, it was easily almost two bucks a gallon difference. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, but this is like supply and demand. Yeah. Yeah, food is up. A, a pack of a one pound uh, Oscar Myers, uh honey baked ham. Went from four ninety five up to about nine dollars a pack. Yeah. Well, that's that's wild. Yeah, I mean, and eggs are up incredibly look, too. Yeah. I'm so about to say, look at eggs. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say eggs. Yeah. yeah. So, 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 at what point is there is there any historical uh, threshold? I, I know, from my history readings, I know that forty percent of attacks, which is actually more than we have now because they hide it, but at forty percent. You know, uh, that's that's the threshold of revolution. That's when people say, uh, "Hell no," <laughs> you know. Uh, so, at what point inflation? I mean, is there is anybody listening to a formula? You know, where we're not open rebellion, but people really start protesting, and they might even hit them, get in the streets at some point. If this keeps getting, if this gets bad enough, at what point do people really start to feel inflation? Is is there any any documentation, anything you know about that, or when people start getting nervous? Um, I, I would say, I, I mean, I. I I don't know if there's any documentation, but for, you know, what I do for a living, I would say uh-huh. that once it crossed the, uh, once it crossed the 6%, 5% threshold, you know, okay. people started noticing it. Um, you know, when it got up to 10%, I was uh-huh. having to make adjustments for people. So uh-huh. I would say that it, it was very noticeable at that point. Hmm. 
Are there ways to make money during inflationary times for people? I mean, I don't see so you can't get personal. Yeah, advice. I, know yeah, I mean, there, there okay. is. I mean, um, you know, not all not all. You know, I mean, energy stocks at the point in time were were doing very well, and we're also paying, you know, six to seven percent dividend. There's many things that we're paying, you know, higher dividends. Now, when you get above six or seven percent, the dividend becomes unstable. Um, so you don't know if that could sustain. Um, you know, I I would say uh, gold was a place to run, but because of the rising dollar value. Um, you know, gold took a hit. Now, gold is on the way back up because there's concerns of potential recession, um, you know, but, um, um, yeah, I mean, there's places to make money. I mean, is it going to keep up with inflation, um, you know, unless you're willing to take a little bit of more risk or have a comfort with risk, then the answer would be no. Um, you know, so, hmm. you know, the, the good news is, is you and I both know inflation doesn't stay up forever. You know what I mean? So no, if you go no, back no. You know, to, to the to the eighties, that's kind of the, the the terrible example that we have. Uh, but I mean, it was up for at least um, four to six years. You know, what I mean, of 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 pain and punishment, and that took pretty much all of Reagan's presidency to to bring it back down to a to a decent level. I don't want to even say what it should have been, but to bring uh-huh. it back down to a comfort. So it took eight years for it to sink. You know what I mean? Uh, to to a comfortable level. So where we're at now, I mean, I think we're at least another uh, couple years away from it getting back to a comfortable level, at least. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, that's really dependent upon you know how what the government does. You know what I mean? If yeah. they if they continue spending and get things out of control, and um, you know bring interest rates back down low, and the public gets back to buying things, I mean, expect inflation to shoot back up. Yeah, this is the part that I don't understand is that the, this is so within the government's control to to fix this. So obviously they don't they're not interested in fixing inflation um, because all they have to do is stop spending, you know, get off the accelerator. You know, I mean, the break is interest rates and the accelerator is spending. If you get off the accelerator, you don't mm-hmm. need a break. <clears throat> That's the whole idea. Yeah. Do people uh, do people make a judgment uh, psychologically in terms of they know their dollar is losing value. Inflation takes the value out of every dollar they have. Do people decide, should I buy now or invest now or, or something now because tomorrow my dollar is going to be less? Or do they say, I better hold off, keep my dollars because that dollar is going to be either worth more or prices will be lower later on. So how do people make that kind of decision to spend now knowing the dollar is going to be worth less or just keep it? Even if it's less, they might have more of them later when, when the dollar becomes more valuable. That's a tough um, choice. I'd say it's, it's up to the individual investor, and that's kind of a mixed bag. I mean, right. you've, got, you've got people that, that – I mean, I, I I know people that hold on to an absolute ton of cash. I'm talking about physical cash, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm like, well, that's like the worst of the worst, you know, because there's no there's no payment may, being made on that. There's no interest. Mm-hmm. There's no nothing. You know, what I mean, like there's and I mean, even the banks right now, because of the Fed funds rate are having to pay you at least. I mean, gosh, the lowest I've seen has been like half a percent. You know what I mean? So they're paying you a little bit for your money to even be there. They have to by law, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, um, it, you know, then you got money markets and things like that. Most money markets at banks, uh, if you have more than a the small deposit in there, are paying you at least 3%. Um, you know, we got ones well over 4 um, you know, I mean, you've got CDs that are paying 5%, you know what I mean? So, you know, there's, there's places to put your money that you don't have to worry about. It's just like I was saying, there's people, I mean, I know a dude that, 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 uh, you know, told me he's got a hundred grand sitting in a safe, you know, and I'm like, for what, man? You know what I mean? Like, like, like when, when are you going to need that kind of money? You know, like, yeah. um, you know, you're, you're talking a doomsday scenario. Um, and oh, by the way, 
you know how hard it is to get that back into a bank if you need it? You know, I mean, you can't just walk in with a hundred grand and without you know them taking a deep look into where you got that money or how how it was acquired. You know, what I mean, but um, and, and well, that's it's not, interesting. We well, said the ten thousand yeah, dollar reporting requirement, right? So if you bring in nine thousand nine hundred dollars, you know, to twelve different okay. banks, if you bring in nine thousand yeah. dollars to twelve different banks or ten different ba- or eleven different banks. I'm not sure how that would work, you you know what I mean? But then you have what are called structured deposits. If they find what are called structured deposits, then, you know, that's Uh something they're going to go look at, you know what I mean? So, um, and and they do this, um, you know, I mean, all because of what happened in 9-11, right? Right. That's how the funding came in, you know? So the funding came in and structured deposits in, you know, in money in in different – in in from different locations, um, you know. So hmm. I mean, you can thank the the, the terrorism um, Patriot Act. I think is the one that did all that. Oh that yeah, that's something it. we're gonna we're gonna start doing more work with intelligence. Uh, in fact, I've been reporting all week. It's interesting. Roger Stone's coming out with a bunch of stuff. This is totally off yeah. topic, uh, and yeah, I'm sure you may have to go any minute. So just let me know. Um, but the whole idea of Nixon knew who killed Kennedy, that the CIA was much more involved in Watergate, that uh, Nixon might have been actually a, 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 the good guy in this scenario, which is kind of interesting, uh, and uh, and that uh, the deep state is just as, was just as active in the 70s as it is today. These intelligence agencies are a problem, and the Patriot Act just gave them more, 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 more to do what they were doing anyway. Uh, and so there's some fascinating things going on. So we'll see if we have a new church committee and other things that are happening. But the more I learn about this, the more it kind of makes sense that all these, all these pieces are coming together. But, uh, but there's some interesting stuff happening out there in terms of our intelligence communities. And that's of interest. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I do got to go now. So okay. um, you know, let, me, let me get on if I can. Sure. Let's get your phone number and, and information again, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. All right. Sounds good. Well, uh, you guys have a great day. Again, this is Derek Park with Ever Jones. You can give me at 850-995-0082. Thanks. Thanks, Derek. Take care. Yep. Bye-bye. All right. So it, it, it always, <laughs> I never know where a conversation is going to go. It's quite fascinating, but uh, it, it is an interesting world uh, of, of what's happening. So um, – I don't know how much show I'm going to do. I've got a couple of hours here. You know, I started a little bit later. Shirley's not here. And I'm, I'm missing our gun reports. Pianchi, do you know any gun reporters? We're, we're kind of at a, at a dearth here on Fridays. Where, you know, we used to, it was great when we had Shirley, Jim, and uh, Derek, and then Mike, you know, who did our science report. Those were fun Fridays. I kind of miss those days. Yeah, they were. Very interesting and informative. Yeah. Well, I get, you know, everything goes in a cycle. Uh, so let me just ask you a little bit about yesterday. And then uh, take, I'm going to take a break and come back with a few articles. I might just do another hour. We'll see. I mean, maybe I'll just make this a two-hour show. Depends if we get a bunch of stimulating conversation and people joining us. But uh, Fridays tend to be kind of quiet around here. That's why it's good to have a lot of reporters and a lot of guests Friday just for that reason. So did um, what do you think? We're kind of, we're kind of moving up in the, uh, in the world in terms of the, the, the folks that are coming on the show, you know, from Peter Navarro, Wendy Rogers, Robert Spencer, uh, we had uh, Christina Bob yesterday, Dr. Peter McCullough last week. This is this is going to be a really interesting place around here. Oh yeah, it is. <clears throat> it's, uh, people don't know what to suspect until it happens. Well, and that's the thing too. And, and again, my my plan was to get major public figures attracted to Action Radio, so we could so they would introduce our citizen legislation, you know, to the country, and we and this would get a fair hearing, and people could actually see that there are alternatives. You know, I remember talking to Christina Bobby yesterday. I said, you know, you, you can fix big tech censorship in like three lines of law change. 
you don't have to do the. I didn't really go into it too deeply, but you know we've talked about this. You don't need the the massive antitrust. You don't need the the whole regulatory agency. You don't need to rewrite the whole code. You change three lines. You make them liable for touching your account, and, and then they can get sued for it. That's it. Liability is like one of the most powerful tools out there. And I don't think uh, um, this is why companies are so quick to try and remove any liability because that's the unknown. Uh, do you think they all got scared by big tobacco or and what happened with them when they paid billions of dollars for being liable for their products causing cancer? Or, or, or is that just the most powerful legal tool that people have against major corporations who are selling dangerous stuff? What do you think? Well, I don't understand why come people aren't complaining about these things themselves. Hmm. I wouldn't uh, go fire a shotgun if it didn't have some liability on it. It might blow up in your face. Yeah. I mean, firearms are one of the most liability regulated products there is. And you can imagine if there's a, it's funny, you never hear a recall. <laughs> you never hear Smith and Wesson saying, well, our, uh, our latest model of the 982, you know, shotgun or whatever, uh, is being recalled. They don't do that because I think that would destroy the whole industry. If you ever had a firearms recall, I don't think I can't even remember one. Or maybe Lorson, you know, some of those really cheap. You know, and you don't hear about the quote Saturday Night Special. Those really cheap guns that were out there that didn't work at all because those were dangerous. I've seen some of them. I used to work in a gun store years and years ago, and some of those really cheap firearms that you know they're good for like two shots maybe. <laughs> That's about it. And they fall apart. But uh, if you had a firearms recall, that would be a huge damage. Whereas, because you know the whole vaccine pharma industry is immune from liability, they can do whatever they want. They can cause billions of dollars of damage, cost millions of lives, and they're home free. It's okay for them because they were given this grant by Congress of no liability. But you never see firearms. They don't. You know, I don't, I don't think firearms ever went for a, a no liability thing. But firearms are incredibly. They have huge liability. That's why they have to work. And they do. So here's a question, as, as a, you know, from a, a gun owner perspective. Have you seen gun owners, they'll, they'll take a perfectly good firearm that engineers and companies have spent, you know, millions of dollars and years developing, and then they'll take everything out of it and put in all the aftermarket stuff. <laughs> they'll try and make it better because they think, well, this gun's good, but once I put this stuff in, it's going to be even better, and it's not. You know, if they just left it alone, it would operate so much better. Have you seen that? I used to see that in competition. Well, yeah, people make alterations to something that's considered a stock. Mm -hmm. They do it in cars and uh, quite a lot of other things, too. Yeah, but cars, it usually is better. <laughs> you know, if you get a better stereo or something else or you modify it, even if you put hydraulics in and make it bounce, I mean, that's kind of fun. But I, I used to, when I was doing competitions actively, I would see people coming in with what they call race guns, and they'd have the latest color stock, that have internal thises and thats and stuff would be polished and reduced spring tension and, you know, special optics and all this other crap. And the more stuff they put on it, the less likely the gun was to work. So I showed up with my Glock out of the box. I didn't touch it. <laughs> Maybe I painted the, the front sight red, you know, so I could see it more easily. That's, that'd be about it. That's my, that was my modification, right? And they worked. So the people that had the basic guns mm -hmm. out of the box, out of the, the regular factory ones, those are the ones that work fine. So, but, but firearms liability, yeah, you never – I didn't think of that until just now. It's an interesting uh, idea. Have you ever heard of a firearms recall? I don't think anybody's ever done that because the risk is too great for the industry. They can't afford it. Well, yeah, there had been firearm recalls on uh, certain functions of the gun that didn't work right. But uh, – 
you know, my daughter had bought uh, a pistol and the uh, the screws that held the grips on. I think they stripped out that be it was brass and the screws. The uh, huh. insert was brass and screws screwed in. I think it stripped out of it. And one time she was using it, and the handles uh, came off in her hand. So, yeah, sometimes those things do happen. Huh. Well, that's interesting. Okay. Well, I got I got a bunch of articles. I think I might start with. Uh, well, I'll finish with that one article. Uh, that I, nah, maybe not. I'll see. Mm-hmm. I gotta take a. I'm gonna take a break here for a minute. Uh, and then, so think of topics you have. Let me just. Uh, I've got uh, the remainder of uh, Stone Cold Truth on on the uh, on Gerald Ford and, and Hoover. Let me just finish that right now. Actually, then we'll take a break. Then we'll come back with a completely new topic. So we're talking about this article that uh, I was reading from earlier. How Warren Commission member Gerald Ford altered the, uh, the official JFK autopsy diagram and report to conceal the truth about Kennedy's murder. Of course, my question is why? Why would he do that? What, what, what was in it for him? Uh, so the last, little, the last few paragraphs say here, more specifically, is the problem, Deloach. And this is, this is person Deloach. Uh, let me see if I can see who he is to refresh all our memory here. Karthadiki Deloach, uh, assistant FBI director. So now we've got the person who they are. And they said, uh, here, here specifically, the problem Deloach described, the declassified initial draft of the Warren Commission report stated a bullet had entered his back at a point slightly above the shoulder and to the right of the spine. This description matches that of JFK's personal physician, Admiral George G. Berkeley, who attended the autopsy at the Bethesda Naval Medical Center and noted that the wound was in the upper posterior, about even with the third thoracic vertebrae. In other words, Kennedy was shot in the back, but Gerald Ford moved that moved the diagram and said he was shot in the neck instead to cover up the fact that he was shot from both the front and the back. This is the significance of this that the articles revealed earlier. So then it says, in fact, autopsy photographs of JFK's back showed the wound in his back two to three inches below the base of the neck. A diagram by Berkeley included in the Warren Commission's own report confirms this location. The actual physical evidence demonstrates that the first draft of the Warren Commission report was indeed accurate. So in other words, they got, uh, they got, they got modified. <laughs> they got changed. Then it says photographs of the bullet holes in Kennedy's shirt and suit jacket almost six inches below the top of the collar place the wound in the upper right back. As American history professor Michael J. Kurtz pointed in his book, The JFK Assassination Debate, if a bullet fired from the sixth floor window of the depository building nearly 60 feet higher than the limousine entered the president's back, with the president sitting in an upright position, it could hardly have exited from his throat at a point just above uh, the Adam's apple, then abruptly change course and drive downward into Governor Colony's back. That's the magic bullet theory. Ford did, Ford did Hoover's bidding. So then we need to find out how much Hoover was involved, right? So this just keeps getting bigger and bigger. It says Ford did Hoover's bidding. His handwritten edit on the classified document. Oh, classified documents again. Maybe we'll start with that next time. We got a, a thing on uh, from the Daily Mail, Mail in the UK. It says classified documents said a bullet had entered the base of the back of his neck, slightly to the right of his spine. This change was later revealed in declassified papers kept by the Warren Commission's general counsel and accepted in the final report. A small change, Ford told the Associated Press, when it surfaced decades later in 1997. Ford, a public supporter of the single assassin theory, insisted that his edit had intended to clarify meaning, not change history. However, the effect of his alteration is clear. With this small change, he bolstered the commission's false conclusion that a single bullet had passed through Kennedy and hit Governor Connolly, excuse me, thus solidifying what is now known as the magic bullet theory. 
Indeed, the Associated Press stated that Ford's small change became the crucial element to determine that Lee Harvey Oswald had been the lone assassin of President John F. Kennedy. Wow. I've never believed the lone assassin theory. It never made sense. Did you ever see Oliver Stone's film on this? Yeah, but that, uh, <clears throat> that stuff about Kennedy being shot with multiple directions and stuff has <clears throat> never been proven. Well, and this sort of says that it's never been proven that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone either. Because if a bullet yeah, yeah. would enter the back and come out the neck at a higher elevation, there's no way that could have happened being fired down upon from a, from the sixth floor book depository. Yeah, they're trying to say that the secret age, secret service agent shot him in the head, and uh, Ford altered the. How in the heck was Gerald Ford going to be able to go into a? Was it the coroner's office and alter the autopsy? Well, he also did a warning report. The, the original autopsy, I don't think, was done, but was, this, that's a good question. What was Gerald Ford's position? Yeah, it's probably in the earlier part of the article. Yeah, Ford wouldn't have had no responsibility for doing that. And I was remember Ford was glad to, to, to be able to call the White House his home rather than mm-hmm. driving, riding past it on the uh, subway. Hmm. And many times he said to himself, if I was president, I'd be home now if he <laughs> went by. Somebody. Yeah. Well, it says here, Warren, the, uh, it says, in fact, Warren Commission member Gerald Ford, then a congressman, purposely altered the Kennedy autopsy records to conceal the fact that JFK had been shot from both the front and the back, which would, of course, expose the existence of the multiple gunmen and thus a conspiracy. Both the Associated Press and the New York Times accurately reported that Ford had made the material change when Warren Commission records documenting this history were declassified in 1997. So they proved it. They proved that he changed the results. He was on the committee. He was on the Warren Commission. The one that looked into the Kennedy assassination, and he was then a member of Congress at the time. So he had access to the report. Being on the well, if he was on the Warren Commission, what about the other commissioners? That's a good question. That's an excellent yeah, question. I don't know. Well, we Arnold Specter was the other one. Yeah, I'm still yeah we always Specter have these artists that come along and try uh-huh. to make a name for themselves. But the death is a life. Well, the the other one was Arlen Specter, who became Senator Arlen Specter. But he was on the commission, too. I think it was maybe a counselor or something like that. Let's see if I can find his name here. I know it appeared earlier in the, in the article. Maybe it was a different... No, I'm pretty sure it was this one, too. Yeah, what about the family? Well, yeah, what, are, what does the Kennedy family know? You know, it would be interesting to talk to if he wants to talk about it. Well, isn't uh, Robert Francis Kennedy Jr. coming out more and more saying this was a CIA plot? Well, it could have been a plot, but it don't mean that it was done by the CIA. It doesn't mean that it was more that the Secret Service agent killed him. If that's the case, why did they bring Oswald into the picture at all? Um, because he was communist and he was a convenient scapegoat. So they could cover their tracks so that it didn't go back to the CIA or the FBI um, or, or the Secret Service. I don't know. I want to know who gave convenient for Jack Ruby to shoot him and kill him? Well, see, that was all, you know, and then Jack Ruby gets killed. <laughs> you know, do you remember, remember the movie Sniper? Did you ever see that with Mark no, Wahlberg? I didn't, I didn't look scene, at that. There's a scene where this old guy is like 90 some odd years old. He wears these really big, thick glasses. He's way in the backwoods of Tennessee, way, way, way in the backwoods of Tennessee. And so they go find this guy. 
and they look up, uh, you know, ballistics and paper patch bullets and things like that. And he says, and they talked about, they start talking about Kennedy. And, and then the old guy says, well, this is how conspiracies work. You know, the, the people that shot Kennedy, you know, were shot themselves within three hours and buried in the desert. And then and the young FBI guy, guy says, well, how do you know? And the old guy looks at him and says, well, I still got the shovel. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. But it, it, the possibility, you know, there was something going on there, but all these uh-huh. different theories. I've heard it's just uh, ridiculous. Well, let's let's not because we can't settle the theories because there's too much evidence. But does this strike you? And this is what struck me yesterday as I was talking about this before Christina Bob came on and in and, and a previous time that the idea of the deep state that these people think they can do anything that they could assassinate a president in 1963 that they could steal an election. Uh, in 2020, that they can totally control the population, that the Supreme Court can just issue edicts, you know, that become law, that all these different things can happen, and there's nothing we can do about it, because they're in charge. This is the point that I'm, I'm getting at. In other words, the deep state, the, the inside government, you know, I still want to write my article, the nation mm-hmm. of government. These people like their own country, and we're their colonists, you know, and then we have to pay them. Yeah. You know, they treat us the way King George III, you know, treated the colonies. That's how Washington treats us. You know, we're there to support them, and they're there to rule over us. And that's a huge problem. But I I see parallels, and this is the point I was getting to. There are huge parallels between what happened in the Kennedy administration uh, and what happened happened with Donald Trump. In other words, they assassinated one president, and I think probably or possibly the same group of people stole the election from another president. I mean, this is... This is a pattern. That's what I think is the most interesting because I can't prove the theory. I don't know who did what, but I, I see I see definite uh, marks of a pattern here, and that's why I find it so intriguing. Is uh, Josie coming on today? Don't know. Haven't heard her. She usually doesn't come on Fridays. It's usually just you and me. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to tell you, she put a uh, – she posted on Facebook – a picture of her and her husband, I guess, when they was getting married. Uh-huh. Yeah. Forty yeah, years that. ago. Uh-huh. And I made a comment. I should I made a comment that I was getting my uh time machine and go back and kidnap her. <laughs> well the, okay, next so time Facebook she's on the show you, you can bring up that point. They said that I'm talking uh hate and violence. <laughs> Someone said you talked hate and violence? What, because you found because Josie, what, when she got married 40 years ago, she looked fabulous. She yeah, did look I'm fabulous. I'm going to get in my time machine. Wait, yeah. I'm going to get in my time machine and go back 40 years and kidnap her so she couldn't get married. Well, there you go. She still she still looks fabulous. You know, but, uh, yeah. You bring that up with her when she calls in. Uh, see, I, I'll, I'll let you know as soon as I see her on the line. Let me play a couple things here, and then we'll come back in a little bit. It's now 821. And so we'll get going. We'll keep going here as long as it's interesting. <laughs> but I mean, I've, I've accomplished my week's work already. So to, we're I wonder just gonna have who some these people now. got working for now. Who's that? You know, Facebook. Oh, okay, tell me. Well, it's, uh, I, I can hold off. I don't know who they have working for them because apparently they don't. The if I had to sit, I would go back uh, and hit Julius Caesar in the nose. I guess they would have took it as being factual and said, well, that's hateful. Why are you going to go back in time in the uh, 7th century 
uh, A.D. and hit Julius Caesar in the nose. Yeah, he was assassinated by his own people. Caesar, or should I say Caesar, period, because Caesar is a title. It was a title. Right. It was a number of them. Oh, yeah, Julius, Augustus, uh, Claudius, and uh, Maximus. <laughs> that's gladiator. I'm sorry. I just threw that in. But, yeah, there are so a bunch of Caesars. That's what happens mm-hmm. when you hire a lot of people uh, and put them in those positions and not understanding the culture of the society that you're working in trying to censor what's being said. So they censored you for saying what on Josie's picture, her her anniversary or her marriage or like your wedding picture or, or like an early picture of her? What were they? Uh, it's it's a public thing. Is, is it, this is a public post, right? So we're not talking about something that's, that's just for friends only? Yeah, it's right there. It's a public post like everybody okay. else's was. Okay. Uh, as long as it's public, I don't mind talking about it. But I don't talk yeah. about and I don't share friends posts, you know, because they're, they're friends only. It's a restrictive audience. But if something's public. Then that's then then that's that's you know that's interesting and that's okay, um, but yeah. So she posts pictures and um, yeah yeah she looked good back when uh, she met her husband to be. <laughs> Sorry, Bianca, you missed. <laughs> yeah, everybody was congratulations, and I said, oh, if I could get, I would get in my time machine and go back the day before the the wedding and kidnap you. Well, that <laughs> so would what be, is, yeah, what did she there for the wedding? That's funny. What did she say? And what did other people say? This is kind of intriguing, actually. Yeah, nobody said anything. Okay. So what? So what were you worried about? Just a joke. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, if Facebook got onto well, Facebook, Facebook. You know, you know what's interesting? Actually, is you actually do raise an interesting point here that the Twitter folks, the Twitter folks, you know, because they're mostly kids, you know, and they they, mm-hmm. get, they work at Twitter so they can get you know massages and go to a nap room and and get all their meals paid for and not do anything. I'm not sure what Twitter was for, actually. In fact, I never understood why they needed such a big building for something that's pretty much done by the, the individuals themselves. They make their own tweets. I mean, what does Twitter actually have to do other than censor people? <laughs> it seems like their main occupation. But once they set the, the software in place, once they develop software for people to be able to tweet, how much more work was there for the company to do? Wasn't it self-perpetuating at that point? I don't know, Greg. Uh... These uh, now when I usually say sometimes I post something on Facebook, I say if you can't read it here, here's my Twitter address. <laughs> well, I'll do it. So okay. I want to take a break. Yeah. So let's, so we expanded our break here. So it's eight twenty-five right now, Central Time here in in the, the Panhandle of Florida. So let me take a little break, and we're going to come back. I'm going to uh, actually uh, there's a couple of articles I've uh, I found that uh, no one's talking about uh, sugar. And how dangerous sugar is, and how sugar policy, how sugar companies influence so much of our nutrition. And if you can just the, the processed sugar out of your diet, you know, some natural sugar you're going to get. Honey is natural sugar. Fructose in your fruit juice and, and fruits is natural sugar. Uh, there's some other sources of natural sugar. But uh, all that processed stuff in your cakes, cookies, brownies, uh, pastas, and all the other stuff that, uh, and starches and things that create sugar, it's really bad for you. Anyway, so let me um, play a couple things here. I'll be right back in just, just a little bit. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three-minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. 
think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engine. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of My Pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws. My Pillow Pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. 
from the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. So that always wakes me up and gets me energized when I hear my surfing. I call it my surf promo. Uh, so I'm using Pianchi just because I heard some background noise. I didn't want something to get on the uh, the podcast forever that maybe you didn't want on the podcast forever. <laughs> so I just muted you for a little bit. So you're back now. I think back yeah, now. so uh, uh-huh. that's how uh, these organiz- that's how this uh, council culture tried to <clears throat> limit people and things that they say and then they have uh individuals working for them it'd be like me taking uh, me going to uh, argentina and reading things that people in argentina comment on and trying to decipher whether or not based on the society i come from whether this is cool or not so Mm-hmm. That's what. Well, that's not a job. You know, public accommodation says that they cannot discriminate if they're open to the public. If they are social media, I mean, by definition, social media is public, which means anybody can join, anybody can say what they want, unless they violate the obscenity laws, the pornography laws, things like that. And that's already under law enforcement. So my whole my whole thing with big tech is that they can't do that. You know, big mm-hmm. you know, touch anything that you say. They can't touch anything you post. In the same way that, and they certainly can't kick people off. Because that would be like, uh, you know, restaurants denying customers, you know, service because of their race, religion, or things like that. Uh, or, or the opposite, where customers demand something that that business doesn't do. So public accommodation says that if you're open for business, if you are open to the public, then you have to let the public in. If you're a private club, that's a different thing. But these aren't private clubs. These are for-profit corporations open to the public, and they call themselves social media. So because of that, they can't touch what you post. And this is why my, my big tech law is so simple and so and it's so effective because it uses liability. The one thing that the corporations appear to, to fear the most because it's unlimited expense. They can control the politicians. They can control the lobbying. They can control the bills. They control the laws. But what they cannot control are the juries. And this is why I think it's so interesting. Maybe we should talk about this for a minute. I think, I think we're onto something here. But the juries, a jury could award whatever the jury wants to award. So if, uh, if Google you know, gets, uh, gets sued in a class action lawsuit by several million people, you know, who said that you, you censored my website. You know, I, I had, I, you know, for this topic, I should have been near the top and you put me way down the bottom because I'm conservative. <clears throat> I say that all the time. You know, Google, DuckDuckGo, they're all the same thing, right? So you look, when I look for articles, I can't read the first three pages because they're all the leftist sites. If I want the conservative articles, I want the, the ones that are interesting to me, I have to go way, way to the back you know, down the line. Well, that's censorship. That's arranging, that's an artificial arrangement of search results so that people will only see the leftist point of view unless they go looking. Well, that's, that's a chilling effect. That's, that's illegal. That's discriminatory. You know, and so, so in that way, they, they violated public accommodation. They, you know, this is why uh, um, I say that the, one of the civil rights has to be ideology. You know, and the fact that these people have violated public accommodation, they violated our civil rights by channeling information away from us in something that's open to the public. So they're liable for it. But liability, again, the jury, the unknown amount that a jury could award, I think is what scares most of these corporations. I know it scared big tobacco. You know, that's why they stopped advertising and stopped, uh, they didn't worry about cigarettes being banned everywhere because they didn't want the liability. Make sense? 
Well, yeah, it makes sense if people would do it. People need to go by these places and throw eggs on the building. Yes, I said that. If you want to consider it being hateful, great. Those not only eggs, throw turkey eggs. They're bigger. <laughs> it, it, it's uh, it, well, I don't, I don't know. It's hateful. I don't care if it's hateful. It's illegal to uh, to do. I mean, you, you can tell people to do it. You know, I mean, I, I don't. I'm not you know a fan of advocating such such uh, actions. But uh, well, let's let's this, this this brings up an interesting topic. So so would you consider that civil disobedience? Or would you consider that uh, an assault and a trespass and, a, and an act potentially of, of, of violence, throwing eggs on, on a building? No, it wouldn't be civil. Uh, it would be a displeasure. Well, I could say something. Well, why don't we just boycott their products? Well, that's better. And they hate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's just boycott their products. Turn them off. Every time we see uh, advertising on them, let's just blot it out so nobody can read it. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if you blot it out, but here's a good example of this right now. Um, AT&T, which owns DirecTV, has canceled Newsmax. Last year, they canceled One American News. This, to me, is, a, is an incredible violation of, uh, uh, of what we just talked about, public accommodation. So, in other words, they're censoring ideologically, and this is why ideology needs to be a civil right, uh, these, these uh, newscasting services that are, that are more conservative that are reporting things that don't go with the official Marxist narrative, that don't go with the government narrative. Well, those services, everybody as viable as CNN and MSNBC and uh, all the other the liberal services, the 20, I think it's like 22 liberal services are still on uh, direct TV of news, local and national and state and things like that. But they've kicked out, they kicked off my favorite one American news last year and they might kick off. Well, I don't care if they kick off uh, Newsmax. I, I switched to Roku. So I did exactly what you're talking about. Got rid of direct TV. Uh, which was working for me at the time, it was working fine, right? But ever since I canceled my favorite news network, it didn't work. So now I have Roku, and I'm still trying to get Fox News. I, I think I need an upgrade of my Roku stick. You know, I need one that's, that's bigger uh, for some reason. But I, I did exactly what you're talking about, and I think a lot of people did too. I think a lot more are going to go, you know, with Newsweek. I don't have to worry about it because Roku carries Newsweek, so it's not a big deal. But boycotts are incredibly effective and legal. And you're not assaulting anybody. You're not threatening with eggs, you know. So, uh, so I, I would skip the eggs because that is an assault, uh, and it's illegal. <laughs> and, but it, it's better against. It's a lesser charge against the building because now it's just vandalism. Uh, it's like graffiti as opposed to against a person. Uh, it, it's kind of. I'll tell you a funny story. I had eggs thrown at me. This was, uh, in fact, I, I captured it on, on on video and sent it to the police. This car. It was about ten o'clock at night. I'm walking home, and uh, I felt something in the back of my leg, and I was looking. Oh, someone threw an egg at me. And then I saw the car that did it. And then they drove away. Went, oh, well, okay, fine. Then I saw them again. <laughs> they came back for more. And so I videotaped them. And I said, hey, guys, you know, smile for the police. <laughs> yeah, I took their pictures. They drove by throwing more eggs. And so I sent it. I, I uh, copied it to our, our local police station and said, here. You know, and then I didn't see them again. <laughs> so I, and, and they had a taillight out, too. So uh, they, they were easy to find. I said, here's the car that's throwing eggs at me. I got it all on video. You know, and I sent it to the police and uh, never saw them again. So videos are a good thing, but eggs are an assault. I mean, obviously the police took action against that. So boycotts, back to boycotting. Have you boycotted anything? Anything that you found that uh, was not worthy of your financial attention? He left. Oh, must, something must have happened. He dropped. Was I getting too boring? I hope not. <laughs> I try not to be boring. And we'll see if he comes back. In the meantime, there's an article I've had sitting on my computer. Oh, there he is. Okay, fine. Well, let's see what happened. So, uh, yeah, I've boycotted a lot of things before. Yeah, me included. 
You just boycotted me. You left. <laughs> yeah, that's a left hand that was a left handed operation there. Oh, okay. <clears throat> but uh boycott the enterprise leasing when they said that they weren't uh accepting discounts for people who have a lifetime membership with the NRA. Uh, you know, yeah, that's they, good. That's good reform. Yeah. I boycotted uh, I wouldn't start buying Chick-fil-A chicken sandwiches when they was, uh, what was it, the LGBTQ boycotted them. So I said, I'm going to buy their food. So that's yes, the opposite of a boycott. Yeah, that's 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 interesting. That's so you can counter a boycott by going to a business that maybe you haven't been to. How about Chick Fil A for exactly the same reason? Yeah, yeah. you're right. Uh huh. I should go to Hobby Lobby to do that. I didn't put no money in the, the uh, Salvation Army because of what they done to. Uh, I guess it was on Trump again. So no, I don't spend. I don't. I don't buy from black businesses mm-hmm. just because they black. Because the proprietor would donate to the likes of Maxine Waters and Jim Clyburn. So no, I don't. What well, you have to do? Well, that makes sense. And people think that their individual actions don't count, but you don't know how many other individuals are doing exactly the same thing. You know, and voting is a good one too. If people, uh, you know, oh, I don't like the voting system, I'm going to boycott the vote. Great, my vote, my vote counts more. Stay home, especially if you don't know what you're doing. Maxine Waters, something just came up in the news about her. Um, she's not whatever committee she's on. Was it judiciary or, or something? Whatever committee she ran, uh, she's no longer the, the chair, obviously, because she's a Democrat. But the new chair, the Republican chair, actually did something good. He got rid of the Equity Subcommittee. Did you hear about this? I just heard about this this morning for the first time. This is good news. No, share it. Well, that's it. That's basically, I don't even know what the equity committee did, but what I'm guessing is it was a wealth transfer. It was, a, it was probably a racist committee that took money from, from one race, racial group you know, or gave to another. But the whole idea of equity, that, um, that, you, that your property is not yours unless everybody else has the same amount. I mean, equity is, you know, you think of equity as, as uh, equality, and it's not. It's, in fact, they're polar, they're polar opposites. Equity says that whatever you have, if you have something else, that's not equity. It's only equity when everybody has the same thing. In other words, communism. So if everybody's property is all taken away, we have equity. But you certainly don't have equality because you got the upper echelons with all their stuff. You know, I'll give you another one. Gavin Newsom, you know, talks about taking everybody's guns away, you know, and all these armed guards are around him. <laughs> Did you ever see the picture of him? He's got these thugs. They all look like, like uh, you know, extras from a mafia movie. <laughs> you know, these big guys with no neck and uh, the sunglasses now on their hands and their jacket. You know, ready to grab their firearm at a moment's notice. And they've got these huge uh, um, um, body vests, um, bulletproof vests underneath their shirts, which are so painfully obvious, it's funny. Anyway, as he says, well, it's terrible for anybody to own guns. <laughs> Dude, you're surrounded by guns. <laughs> you know, so there's, there's hypocrisy. And, there's, you know, so we could uh, boycott, uh, boycott him. But, so, yeah, so, so well, but this, equity, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Back to equity. This stuff they're talking about equity with these uh, black <laughs> politicians. Mm-hmm. And, and you know one that stands out that the Supreme Court's going to rule on and that is affirmative action in mm-hmm. in colleges. And uh, you have some colleges, as a report I read, mm-hmm. where on the standard test for the college admission test, the SAT, that uh, the 
black students are given 310 points. Hispanics, I think, 270. Hmm, they beat up 170 from Asians, and whites don't get anything. So regardless, if whites don't get anything is the way it should be, you should be taking a test, and your reward should be based on merit. Mm-hmm. Not on the color of your skin or your ethnicity. And they got some other things in there where they can consider the neighborhoods you grew up in, whether you had to hear gunshots at night and all that craziness. So that there, it, it goes to show you exactly what they're all about. They're trying to take, like you say, take some others and give to mm-hmm. others. That, and it should be based on the work that's put in in your self-development in order to make yourself where you qualify as an impeccable qualified candidate, and they're not doing that. Well, equity in a legal then, context is different than equity in, in, what the, in the political context. So it's quite interesting. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, that's another word they created. They create words and create new definitions. Mm-hmm. So their definition of equity is everybody has the same thing. The def- I just pulled up my online dictionary. It says equity, noun, plural, equities. The quality of being fair and impartial. Well, nothing about this is fair or impartial. It's, it's very, very partial <laughs> to certain people being uh, losing things uh, through no fault of their own, to people being given things for no accomplishment of their own. It says in law, a branch of law developed alongside common law in order to remedy some of its defects in fairness and justice, formally administered in special courts. If there's any conflict between the principles of common law and equity, equity prevails. Uh, it seems like a way to get rid of con- See, common law is, 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 the, is the people making their own decision. In other words, juries. Juries rule on common law. So when juries, says, when juries nullify, that becomes common law. I mean, that's, a, in other words, the regular practice. Then it says the value of shares issued by a company, 62% equity. Okay, so in other words, that's a financial stake. Equity stocks and bonds. The value of a mortgage property, uh, equity U.S. Okay, so this is not a good definition. So let's put, um, let's look up another thing. Let's look up on a, on a regular window, uh, legal definition of equity, because this is re- this actually is a really important topic. Legal, mm-hmm. legal, legal definition of equity. I have to reach around my computer, so that's always risky. Reach around my microphone, excuse me. Legal definition of equity. So legal legal definition. This is the free dictionary.com. So it's probably the, li- the liberal view. <laughs> and I'll try a couple of different ones here. So equity in its broadest sense, equity is fairness, but that's not equal because equality is not always fair. According to people's definition, everybody should have the same thing, but equality is where everybody starts from the same position. We are created equal. We don't come out long-term equal. And I guess they're using equity to say equity is to make up for the fact that, you know, you may have been created equal, but everything after that was different. It says, as a legal system, it is a body of law that addresses concerns that fall outside the jurisdiction of common law. Equity is also used to describe the money value of property. Okay, so that's, that's one thing. Equity in law trace England as a response to the rigid procedures of English law courts. Through the 13th and 14th centuries, the judges in England's courts developed the common law, a system of accepting and deciding cases based on principles of law shaped and developed in preceding cases. In other words, precedent, but not of the Supreme Court, but by the people. So in other words, the people's decisions, the jury's decisions. That's how common law develops. Okay, so let's frustrate plaintiffs turn to the king, who referred to these extraordinary requests for relief in a royal court called the Chancery. Okay, that's too long an article. We've got a short 
legal definition. Legal definition, equity. Uh, justice according to natural law or right. Something that is equitable. That's in the word in the definition. Uh, a system of law originating in England, chancery, and comprising a settled and formal body of legal and procedural rules and doctrines that supplement, aid, or override common and statute law and are designed to protect rights and enforce duties fixed by substantive law. Equity has nothing. Well, let's talk about the concept of equity and rights. So if you're a leftist, you think that people have a right to the same amount of money that everybody else has. You think that people have a right to um, health care, food, shelter, a certain standard of living, a guaranteed income. And the fact that that comes from other people, that's okay. Because in their view, equity means everybody gets the same thing, which is not true. But that, that would be their legal definition. How am I doing? Make sense? Well, that's basically what you're talking about. You know, coming off all these protests and riots, and you, uh, Joe Biden has probably got some of these individuals, a BLM, that's on his staff that's trying to craft some of these new policies. And, you know, you can just about smell the things that they probably indulge in. And, and it's, uh, I mean, that's what you're starting to see. You know, for instance, like reparations, reparations went from slavery. Now mm-hmm. it goes to uh, that it's needed for blacks because of how they was treated, how, uh, like you said, somebody threw an egg at you. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be a cause. Well, yeah, we were standing on the corner and somebody threw eggs at us, so we need to have reparations from the government. Not on reparations. They just want their ass in jail, <laughs> you know, or at least some penalty. You know, because you can't assault people with eggs. Now, what if I was a little old lady in a wheelchair? <laughs> you know, they're throwing eggs. I mean, you don't know. You know, this, that's a, it, throwing eggs is a violent act. And that's why I say, it, to me, that's not a viable form of protest. A viable form of protest is you stand outside the corporate, uh, you know, headquarters with a bunch of signs and you start yelling and screaming. That's okay. You're yelling and screaming is perfectly acceptable, you know, especially across the street. But there's no, but once you start throwing things, once the objects get involved, now that's different. But equity Equity is, is – now the Constitution says that the Supreme Court cases arise in law and equity. But what they were talking about was financial equity. In other words, if someone has a stake in something uh, or, or like a corporation or, or some kind of financial you know, decision. So if someone was awarded something that they shouldn't have been awarded or a business – say a business gets uh, – East India Tea Company you know, gets the charter for South Carolina and no other company can do that. And the Supreme Court would say, oh, wait a minute, that's not equitable because you've, you've blocked access, you know, to other companies, to tea market in South Carolina. You've awarded it, to, you've awarded it all to the East India Tea Company of Britain. That's not equitable. <clears throat> so in financial sense, equity makes sense. But that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about in a social justice, make everybody equal situation. So it says neither. So here we go. Amendment. All right, let's get, this, let's get Article 3. Article 3, where is Article 3? That's, that's Article 1. Article 3 is like the shortest one. That's Article 4. Yeah, um, Article 3. The judicial power of the United States shall be vested in one Supreme Court and in such inferior courts as the Congress may from time to time ordain and establish. The judges, not justices, folks, the judges, both of the Supreme and inferior courts, shall hold their office during good behavior, yada, yada, yada. Okay, the judicial power shall extend to all cases in law, equity, arising under this Constitution. So when the founders said equity, that's very different than what they're meaning today. In those days, it was a financial distribution, you know, or a financial award from the courts, whether, you know, whether it was equitable or not. Now it's being used 
it, it's, it's supposed to be a remedy. Now it's being used as a cause of action. I guess that's the big difference. So the cause of action is, well, somebody has more than somebody else. That's not equitable. So we're going to use equity to, to, to you know, uh, initially, as opposed to uh, something that comes out of law that was not an equitable solution. Somebody was awarded too much financially, not enough financially. That's not equitable. So that's the difference I see, whether it comes before well, the case or after the case. What do you think about the... Uh-huh. What do you think about this uh, this money that you get from the Internal Revenue Service for the children that you have? Oh, in terms of equity? What, is, what do they call that? Uh, oh, child uh, tax credits? Yeah, the child tax credits. Yeah, child tax credits. Uh-huh. Yeah, some of them is like $6,000 a child. Uh-huh. Well, that's Even not equity. You don't have a job. Yeah, but that's not equitable. Well, it's not equitable because people are getting child tax credits who aren't using it against income, an income tax. So the only reason a tax credit should always be against the income that you've earned. So in other words, if you have uh, a $10,000 tax bill and you've got you know, a, a $1,000 tax credit because you have a child, then that would come out of the $10,000 that you paid to the IRS. You don't have to pay 9000 That's a credit. Well, but the the problem with the child care credits, well, it doesn't you, matter you if they have some people that don't right. even make that and they, they don't have a job. Right, exactly. So in that case, hey. the credit should not apply because you can only credit from money that was paid. <laughs> What's that? But it does. Well, I know it does, but that's not equitable, right? It, in fact, the child tax credit itself is not equitable because you're discriminating against people that don't have kids. So you've got a 30... Why is the federal government in the business of taking care of people's children? Well, then at they're, the they're, same they're... time, they're in the business of telling people that they can abort their kids. Uh-huh. And then question. where is the fathers? Why co- the fathers of the male that help make that child, why come they're not being held accountable? Or how come they don't have parental rights? So in other words, if, uh, if a mother wants to give a child up for adoption and the father says, I'll, I'll, it's my child, I'm going to raise this kid. You know, does the father have the right to do that? I don't think so. <clears throat> I think, you know, mother can say, well, I'm giving this child up for adoption. Well, I don't know if married couples, that would be different. I'm not sure how it works. But I know that men have had the, this is a messy question, by the way, if you want to get into it. You know, it's, it's like, can men tell women not to have abortions? No. Can men tell women they have to? No. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, but can, but do men have the well, same parental rights as women? What's that? Can a husband rape their wife? Sure. Absolutely. But how do you consensual. know? It? Yeah, good question. Yeah, but how do you know it? I, th- th- that's 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 court. That's why we go to court. You know, and then you've got you've, especially if you well, only have two it, people involved. It really should it be going to court? Should a husband, should a wife come in and say my husband raped me? Mm-hmm. Did all right in this but scenario? Does the, well, that's what I was just going to say. In that scenario, does the does the wife immediately file for divorce? So that was, we'll see. But in this scenario, so in other words, if and someone on grounds of what that he raped her, sure. That's yeah, but how going to prove that? That's how is she going to prove that he? How is she going to prove that he raped her? Well, don't they have rape kits? I don't. That's a good question. I don't know. Physical evidence. I don't want to go too detailed here. <laughs> you know, uh, evidence of an assault. Well, husband and wives usually have sex, and they sleeping yeah, but, in the same bed. Mm-hmm. And how does the court know they're not sleeping in the same bed? Are they peering in the window? Yeah, I know what you're saying. No, it's, uh, that, that would have to be determined on a case-by-case basis. But in terms of rights, of father's rights, this is a huge problem with father's rights. You know, it's, uh, 
you know, we wrote a bill uh, on uh, uh, abortions that said that, uh, you know, we don't want the state being so powerful that it can say that no one can uh, terminate a pregnancy. But what we said in that bill was you couldn't terminate the life of the baby. So if a woman wants to give up her parental rights and terminate her pregnancy, as long as it's done in a time and a way that can save the baby, then the father becomes the, the parent. And if he, if he wants to uh, um, revoke his parental rights, then it goes to either extended family or, uh, you know, the state or something like that. But uh, we had a way to do that so that uh, we didn't lose the life of the child. So inequity. But, there's, but there are choices that – here's another one, too. So in a pro-choice world, a woman decides to have an abortion and the father wants the child. Well, he's out of luck, unfortunately. Um, you know, once the child's born – but once the child's born – now they're equal parents. Mother can't say, well, I'm going to give up this kid, you know, to my friend. And father's like, nope, I'm the father. It's mine. <laughs> you know, so that's a different situation. But in terms of, uh, you know, parental, the, the whole idea of father's rights aren't even considered. You know, men, and here's the, here's the big one. You know, if a woman decides not to have a child, she can have an abortion in most places in the country. But if a man decides not to be a father, he can still be hit with 18 years of child support for a child that he never intended to have. That's not equitable. Or a child that's not yours. That's, or a that's child even worse. That he, he was not biologically connected to. Yep. You know, in uh, Memphis, you had this case recently mm-hmm. where this black man, Mr. Nichols, mm-hmm. uh, was in a traffic stop, and I think he ran. And anyway, he ended up being killed. Nichols black. Mm-hmm. And the five police officers involved were all black. Hmm. Okay. Plus, the fire department came on the scene, and I guess to administer uh, first date, all of them been uh, charged with with murder. Hmm. Now, here's the thing: Why come nobody's calling these police officers racist? Because <laughs> they're all black. Yeah, it's interesting. So, well, see, race is always so – uh, people forget that racism is really a political concept. Ra- there's, there's, there's real racism out there. I mean, there's racism. Anytime you, uh, you, know, you object to somebody of somebody else's race, you know, technically that's racism. And so anybody can, can yeah, be a racist. Yeah, illegal. No, it's not illegal. What's illegal is to do illegal things. So in other words, you can feel racist feelings. See, feelings can never be made illegal because you can't regulate feelings, nor can you control them. People have, you know, you can, you can have the most racist feelings in the world, but if you never act on them, you haven't, you haven't committed any crime. But the question is, if, if you kill someone of the same race as opposed to killing someone of a different race, why would that be a different crime? It's still murder. Yeah, racist, racism is the act that results in mm-hmm. denying somebody of their civil rights. Constitution yeah, well, so, right. But, but affirmative action is a racist policy. That was for, I went in for my very first government job when I was 16 years old. The airport manager told me, I can't hire you because you're white. I have to hire black kids because of this new policy called well, affirmative action. Because I was 16 years old. I didn't know I could. <laughs> it was my first job. I only been in the country a few years. I was new here. Well, I, I, would, I, go, I would still try to soon go back. They let other things go. Uh, they bring forth other things that happen. Forty years ago, that's George Rowe Moore. And, well, I'm, and? I'm 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 reasonably sure because of the age difference between me and the airport manager at the time. I mean, I could look up and see who it was. I know what year it was. You know, uh, it was my my junior year of high school. 
And so I could I could look back and look just at, as good as the thirty five that sued uh, Bill Cosby. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean I don't have any corroborating evidence. It was just he and me in the room. You know, this is in the it's. Um, that's, well, that's that's the way it was yeah. with the thirty five the accused Bill Bill Cosby. I know the stage. Yeah, interesting. I know I know the time. Well, I don't know the time, but I, I know approximately when it was because I was going for a summer job. You know, I was in high school. I know the airport. I know where I lived. I know I'm sure we could look up the records of the Massachusetts Port Authority Absolutely. and find out who, who was running the airport at the time. Worth, uh, Ten million dollars. And I know that black kids were hired that summer because I wasn't. You know, and he says, You're qualified for it. He says, But I can't hire you. I mean that that's racist. Because it did affect you. Yeah, it, it did. did affect you overall well standing mm-hmm. well it kind of hurt yeah well this is why <laughs> well this is an interesting point see this is why it's so fascinating um you know when you think about these things because to me it was just dumb and stupid and unfair i mean we talk about equity <laughs> but actually in terms in terms of equality why should somebody get a job because of their skin color so i was immediately against affirmative action i've always been against affirmative action because it affected me personally and it's so fascinating when people say well you're a white guy you don't know what it's like to be discriminated against well i got news for you i know exactly what it's like you know here i'm in a strange well, country. The, uh, case in new california here. was balky baki you well, remember that one the Baki decision, yeah, yeah, I remember the Baki decision. I remember the Baki school, decision was, was a lawsuit against uh-huh. California border regions mm-hmm. because they admitted a black student who scored less than Baki. Mm-hmm. And that now, was that was supposedly okay. That's racism. Yeah, That's it a, is. Now, government. So, so government racism is is an actual crime. So, affirmative action is a government racist crime. It violates the 14th Amendment, you know, the equal protection of laws. You can't favor one group or another. And so the whole concept of equity is unconstitutional by that same clause in the 14th Amendment. We're all inside. Well, why of do you need Asian? Mm-hmm. Why do they need an Asian hate bill? Well, no, or anti-lynching bill. bill. Yeah. Well, lynching's illegal, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but lynching's illegal regardless. Anytime you have a group of people that violate somebody's civil right to a, a to due process, to a trial, to evidence, a jury of their peers, uh, and a defense, you know, and a place to uh, to face their accusers, uh, anything less than that is a, is a lynch mob, especially if a sentence is carried out and imposed. But the racist well, nothing have, to do with it. It's always illegal to be a lynch mob. When you have four thousand eight hundred and seventy-five. Blacks shot by other blacks in Chicago. How many cases of racism is that? We each and every one of them. Oh. Well, okay, so here's the question. Can you be racist against your own race? Racism is when you violate somebody's civil rights. Mm-hmm. But are the murders of, Regardless a, a black of person murders, the black uh, Wait a minute. If a black person murders a black person in Chicago, how can you say... That's racist, unless they did because, because black the white person black done it, it would be racist. But here's the, here's the thing. now here's a good interesting question too. So so if a black person murders a black person, they'll say that's not racist because they're both black. But if a white person murders a black person, how can you say that's racist unless you prove that that white person had you know racist intentions, racist feelings that it was somehow based on race? The murder was based on race. But if it's not based on race, well, I thought it was, you you I can't thought say it's it was a racist murder. People, 
I thought it was about equal equal application of the law. Isn't that what Garland said here not too long ago? Well, Garland <laughs> between you know, uh, Trump and uh, Biden's uh, documents. There's no equal application of the law when it comes to, the, to, to Merrick Garland and the Brandon insurrection. There's two sets of laws. So, again, that violates the Constitution. That violates equal protection. Anytime you have you know, anything that goes on in government that doesn't treat everybody equally, that's a violation of the 14th Amendment. I mean, that's how yeah, powerful really, it is. But it, but it, never gets, so it never gets called blacks, on it, though. These mm-hmm. 4,875 blacks that were shot by other blacks in Chicago, mm-hmm. In the year between 2020 and 2021, then each and every one of those cases should be a hate crime, and the person that the uh, criminal is mm-hmm. a racist. Well, I don't know if it's a racist necessarily, but is but the thing the whole idea of a hate crime is is a is a non legal principle. Why is it that white? You white, right? Mm-hmm. Why come you can't? Why come you are white? Why come you can't? Come, why come you can't just face the reality? It's a racist act. The why is it that white person? can't get it in their <clears throat> wait a minute, hang on? Why okay, is it that no, white can't it. get it in their conscience that uh-huh. when a black person do something to another black person, that mm-hmm. if it was a white person done it to a black, it would be uh, charged as racist. But when a black does it to another black, it's not racist. No, I didn't say it wasn't racist. I, you know, I, I agree with you. I think it depends on, on the action taken. If a person, but that doesn't, but in, in terms of law, it doesn't the matter. Same action it, that, the same action that, the action taken would be the same action that right. would be in any case if a mm-hmm. white done it to a black and they would be accused of being a racist. Well, if a black do it to a black, if a black do it to a Chinese or a black do it to an Asian, it's still racist. It's the act. Well, well, the the, the act, well, it's actually the crime. So, so racism in terms of law, in terms of criminal law, has no place. So, I don't, I don't believe in hate crime legislation. I don't believe that that racism plays a part in this. It's the crime itself. It's what you actually did. So, whether a person of the same race kills someone else, see, I don't consider race relevant at all when it when it comes to an act. So, in that regard, do I believe that someone can be racist against persons of their own race? Absolutely. But that doesn't affect the crime and, and the way that the law should be enforced. So in other words, if somebody kills somebody, just, just blank, no race, no nothing. If someone kills someone else, that's a murder, you know, unless it's self-defense. But if someone murders somebody well, else, yeah, it, it, it doesn't matter murder. what race they it, are. You, you don't make the crime more severe way, or less severe. That, Go ahead. Mm-hmm. That's the way society looks at it, and that's the way some elements within society uses it. They oh, have they, but used it, whereas but they they yeah. will criticize a white person for doing something to a black person and label it as racist. Mm-hmm. But once again, if a black person do that same very identical act, mm-hmm. effort to a black person, they don't call it, they just call it something different. No, because race is used for groups, it's not used for individuals. And this is, I think this is a big difference. I mean, you're making a very interesting point. Um, but I don't consider race, I don't consider race. <laughs> I just don't. It's, it's, it's not a part of my thinking. It's not a part of anything. Um, so when someone kills somebody else or someone murders someone else, I don't care what their race is. That's irrelevant to me. You know, yeah, but Greg, I don't consider, see, but I'm, I'm not representing think, a group. You, you mm-hmm. act like somebody is, is accusing you. It's not you. We talk about society. So you oh, no, can't you put mean. your own... Yeah, so you can't you see you're trying to escape 
I say, well, I don't do it. But it is was but it was done four thousand eight hundred and seventy five times. Mm-hmm. And none of the people that perpetrated this onto those four thousand eight hundred and seventy five people, blacks, are being charged for what they would be accused of being if they were if they were white doing it to mm-hmm. a black person. Well, I agree with you. I'm just saying it's. I'm agreeing with you. It's not that I'm avoiding it. It's just it's not relevant to me because I don't consider race when it comes to crime. So I know what you're saying. We're we're, we're coming at this from two different angles, and I don't know if you if you want me to admit something or something. I'm not quite sure where where you're going with this, but it's, well, it's, I want to. I want you to admit. I just want you to say that the way it's being applied is totally uh-huh. totally wrong. Well, I've already said that. Well, anytime you consider race in a crime. It's wrong because the crime itself is what matters. So you can't make a crime better or worse because people are the same or a different race. It's the crime and it's the severity of the crime. Now, I don't think unless the only crimes that there are specifically racial are discrimination, like was done to me. You're white. I can't hire you. So that's a different. Right. That that was wrong. You should. If I was you Monday morning, I'd call a lawyer and try to sue. Uh, that's an interesting thought. I think I've got better use for my time than that because, you know, it's interesting you say it did affect me. It did affect me. I didn't go for a government job for a long time. I thought, why should I go for a government job? They're just going to tell me I'm a white guy. I'm not going to get hired. But I, you know, what I might think about is interesting you talk about reparations. So if you take all the white and Asian folks in this country that were discriminated against ever since affirmative action in the mid-70s, you know, came in, that's a lot of money. a lot of them. And they don't say nothing. I just Blacks did. I will immediately it. take you back yeah. on a time machine, mm-hmm. back to 1692. Mm-hmm. But whites have been discriminated against, likewise, mm-hmm. other, and they don't say nothing. Well, see, it's but, not you, even mentioned, whereas it can be used as a talking piece. Yeah. No, I see what you're saying, but I don't see, again, I don't think, and I can only speak for myself, because I don't think of myself as a group. I don't think of myself as either, and I don't go around, you know, wondering how white I am, you know, am I doing what white people would do? I don't think of things like that. Um, but I think about when it affects me personally, it's like, wait a minute, are you doing that because I'm white? I'll give you another example. Uh, there was a guy that, uh, this is in the Haight-Ashbury, this is, you know, I've been there maybe a year or so. So I'm living in San Francisco, and this young kid, you know, this black kid, he says, give me a dollar. Says, no, I'm not going to give you a dollar. First of all, I didn't have that much money to begin with, but it didn't matter. She's the principal. I don't like you know, somebody you know, demanding money from me. He says, give me a dollar. I said, no, I'm not going to give you a dollar. He says, you're not giving me a dollar you know, because, because I'm black. I said, did you ask me for a dollar because I'm white? <laughs> you know, and that, that's a true conversation. And the guy looks at me and says, because you know, no one ever said that to him before. He just you know, walked away sulking. He's like, well, I got you there. You know? So, uh, yeah, so people use race all the time to get a political or a financial advantage. And that's wrong. But because I don't buy into that, I could say that to this kid and shut him up. I said, you asked me for a dollar because it's I'm like white. The issue. That's exactly why you asked me it's for like a dollar, because I'm issue. white. Big pardon? Just like on the issue of uh, reparations, mm-hmm. they want to sue the federal government because it has the most money. And actually, things like Jim Crow was not federally inspired. It was something that went on either locally. Mm-hmm. Are state, but they never want to look at where it all began, because those African tribes, those people there, 
was the mm-hmm. ones that initiated those individuals that ended up in the American shores from the whole idea of slavery. Yeah. Actually, it wasn't you know, but, uh, but, you know, when I look so at the issues... Did, so I, why I, not go back to those countries yeah. and those ones that, that, that uh, would create what we call the cause and effect? If you're going to try to cast blame... Well, why stop on the shores of the U.S.? Because it never would have happened without the collaboration or the initiation of them mm-hmm. over there. Yeah. yeah. See, here's the difference. I don't. I, you know, when I look at the issue of freedom, and I look at any of the issues we talk about on the show, race is never really a consideration unless it's specifically about race, like discrimination. Uh, like something like that, where people are being singled out because of their race. But uh, I want to I want to change the subject. I want to talk about a couple of different things. We got about forty seven, forty eight minutes left. But uh, since we're almost out of January, I want to play my my favorite piece on on racism, you know, and liberals. Uh, and you want to talk about defying, you know, the the you know the white guy shouldn't say this thing. This is my favorite one. This is the January white sale. So I'm going to play this. I want to come back. I want to talk about something different. I want to talk about sugar because we've never talked about that on the show and the the food industry and the impact that they have on people. And this is something I'm curious about your opinion also as well. Let me play this one more time because we're still in January. The return of the January white sale. Here it is, America, the answer to riots, brutality, and all our racial problems. The return of the January White Sale. Are you a guilt-ridden white person? Are you a person of no color? Do you want to finally assuage that guilt for slavery, the Civil War, the KKK, and black people sitting at the back of the bus? Well, here is your long-awaited answer. The Black Lives Matter Department of Reparations has come up with the perfect solution. The return of the January white sale. Now, in years past, this was a big deal. After Christmas, sheets, towels, pillowcases, and other white linens were sold with their biggest discount of the year. In today's new normal world, however, things are going to be very different. Because Black Lives Matter is changing the original white sale. And now they are actually going to be auctioning off and selling white people. You, white, guilt-ridden, ashamed of your whiteness, complete cowards, bowing your heads, kneeling, raising your hands like at a revival meeting, you, you with your eyes cast down, you whimpering liberals hoping to buy your way out of a debt of guilt that can never be fully repaid because no leftist of color wants you to. You, you will have the chance to experience what no black person experiences in the United States today. Slavery. Yeah, that's right. Slavery. Isn't this great? You will be on the cutting edge of social justice and you will save the taxpayers some $14 trillion of reparations national debt. Black Lives Matter has gone to a lot of trouble to erase our history and remake society so guilty white people can finally feel free of their white supremacy. George Soros and Bill Gates have already created the Venture Capital Fund to establish Race Bait Consulting, Incorporated, which will be handling the actual white person sale in January. So, who is available for purchase? Oh, and part of the deal is that white people can't be bought by other white people. That would defeat the whole theme of the event. Anyway, to the question. Your basic rifle on the pickup truck, racist, sexist, Islamophobe, Neanderthal, redneck male, is probably not going to sit around and be put in an auction, even if they will be well cared for by their new owners. What we will have available are liberal, surrendering, grilly man metrosexuals and emotionally distraught and disillusioned feminists, both of whom have already knelt before a designated agent of Black Lives Matter to confess their white privilege. So how do you guilt-ridden white people sign up for the January white sale? It's easy. 
Contact your local chapter of Black Lives Matter, show up at a rally with a flag saying, Take me for the January White Sale, or simply sign up at the next mass kneeling confession of white privilege coming to a neighborhood near you. The new January White Sale is made possible by a grant from Race Bait Industries, Incorporated, and put on by the new normal, new improved Black Lives Matter. Yeah, I think that kind of sums it up. <laughs> Does that answer your questions, Piaki? Nope. A little reprise there. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forgot to cut that last part. It was one of my earlier edits. So for those that don't know, um, during the lockdown, and I've, I really have not been inspired since for some reason. I don't know why. But in the lockdown, I got really pissed off, and I made all these bitingly sarcastic pieces. That's one of them. All right, let's, let's try something a little different here. The, uh, the whole idea, uh, and this is, oh, that's the wrong one. Let me pull up my, my different one here. Um, our health. I'm, I'm, we do a lot of stuff. We used to do a lot of stuff with wellness. So it's another thing. You know, I want to get our, our wellness women back uh, or some, some you know, more health uh, things. So I got something here from The Guardian. Now, the Guardian is British, and it's a liberal paper. But it says revealed, <clears throat> excuse me, groups shaping U.S. nutrition received millions from big food industry. So we, we, this is a whole new group. We haven't even talked about big food ever. It says Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics has, has a record of quid pro quos with a range of food giants documents show. It's got a picture of Neff right here. It says, new, let me see who wrote this. Uh, do I have an author? No author. I don't know the time. It's, this is, uh, wait a minute. Uh, Tom Perkins. Here we go. Tom Perkins, Friday, December 9th, 2022. So just, not that long ago, about a month or so ago. He says, newly released documents show an influential group that helps shape U.S. food policy and steers consumers towards nutritional products, has financial ties to the world's largest processed food companies, and has been controlled by former industry employees who have worked for companies like Monsanto. The documents reveal the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics has a record of pro quos with a range of food giants, owns stock in ultra-processed food companies, sounds like the CDC, right? And has received millions in contributions from producers of pop, candy, and processed foods linked to diabetes, heart disease, obesity, and other health problems. If you're British, it's pop. If you're American, it's soda, which came from soda pop. <laughs> it's the same stuff, right? They said the findings are part of a recently published peer-reviewed study that examined a trove of financial documents and internal communications obtained through a Freedom of Information Act, otherwise known as a FOIA, Freedom of Information Act. A quote here, it's incredibly influential. So the, if the academy is corrupt, then nutritional policy in the U.S. is going to be corrupt. And that's Gary Ruskin, executive director of U.S. Right to Know and a co-author of the study. The investigative nonprofit developed the study with researchers from nonprofits and universities in the U.S. and the U.K. Now, I guess nonprofits are the good guys, right? It says if we're ever going to solve the problems of obesity and diabetes in the United States and elsewhere, then we're going to have to tackle the corruption in our health institutions. Yeah, you know your food pyramid, all those food recommendations? Yeah, they're all wrong. <laughs> you know, they're completely wrong. Anyway, uh, they say the Academy says it is an independent voice and trusted educational resource for consumers, but it lobbies Congress and represents and provides information to over 110,000 U.S. dietitians who help people make decisions about which foods to eat. This is critical. <clears throat> this is, you know, COVID, one of the biggest problems with COVID is obesity and diabetes. It's one of the, 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 the two largest comorbidities, right? So this is actually a very critical issue. We may spend more time on this next week. <clears throat> Excuse me. Though the Academy has long received uh, criticism for its ties to big food, 
this is the first time I've seen this term, big food, the study for the first time reveals the depths of its financial ties. The Academy accepted at least $15 million from corporate and organizational contributors uh, from 2011 to 2017, and over $4.5 million in additional funding went to the Academy's foundation. (laughs) Isn't that special? Among the highest contributions came from companies such as, here we go, Nestle, Pepsi, Hershey, Kellogg's, General Mills, ConAgra, that's new, and National Dairy Council, and the baby formula producer, Abbott Nutrition. Didn't we have a problem with baby formula recently? Just a bit. (laughs) Since the Academy and its foundation also receive food industry fundings via sponsorships, which are in effect quid pro quos. In the 2015 email, an Academy employee defined a sponsorship as, quote, when a company pays a fee to the Academy slash foundation in return for the Academy slash foundation, uh, defined specific rights and benefits. So in other words, yeah, give us money and we'll give you a favorable uh, response. This is the email reveals the Academy in 2015 was in a sponsorship deal with Abbott, that's the, the baby food people, and was discussing how the Academy could use its dietitian's influence in pediatricians' offices to push Pediasure, one of the pharmaceutical giant's infant nutrition products. Uh, Abbott at the time had in place a two-year, $300,000 sponsorship deal. So wait a minute. So big food is, is, is mixing with big pharma. Well, it's probably where they learned all their stuff from because it sounds like the same kind of thing, pushing some... Uh, something to, to uh, or whatever that is. This is the, the Academy also owned Abbott stock. <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. At the time of the deal and plan. Uh, it says it also owned stock in companies which it had a sponsorship deal, PepsiCo, uh, as well as financial contributors like Nestle. He says, this, that is astounding. This is from Ruskin. That belongs in the Conflict of Interest Hall of Fame. It is off the charts. Academy leadership at the time seemed to award uh, seem to be aware of the optics. In other words, it looked bad. Here's another quote. It says, I personally like PepsiCo and do not have any problems with, with us owning it, but I wonder if someone will say something about that. Yeah, I would. There's nothing more useless to your body than soda pop. Don't drink it. It's terrible for you. It's just sugar, air, and water. Please, just you know, keep the air in the water and forget the sugar. Anyway, so this is from the then Academy treasurer, Donna Martin, in a 2014 email. Hopefully, they will be happy like they should be. I personally would be okay if we owned Coke stock. The 2015 uh, email also described an extension of the sponsorship agreement with the National Dairy Council. Under the proposed extension, the National Dairy Council would pay $1.2 million for a package that would, quote, would fund, quote, support for both the academy and the foundation to continue the collaborative work around food, nutrition, and agriculture. Other sponsors listed in the email include Coca-Cola Industry Group and ConAgra, that's probably uh, corn. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing that's like, you know, ethanol, right? Which owns brands like Ready Whip, uh, Slim Jim, and Banquet. Okay, so that's different. The Academy at the time of the 2015 email, so this is old stuff, right? Was all, how come it took until 2022 to get this out? The 2015 email was also in discussion with Subway about how the Academy would, quote, endorse the fast food chain's, quote, healthier products. Well, that's interesting. The email shows and discussed a partnership with the Mars Candy Bar Company. Yeah, fill yourself with a Snickers? Great. Separately in 2015, the partnership between the Academy and Kraft ignited controversy when the Academy agreed to allow the company to put its Kids Eat Healthy Seal on Kraft Singles uh, packaging, which suggested an independent source verified the product's nutritional value. Now, they paid for that. This is like advertising from an official source. This is really corrupt. This is much worse than I thought. Right? It's been a while since I, I, I don't remember reading the whole article, but I think I'm starting with, yep, I want to report on this. 
Then it says, but critics quickly pointed out that the product has poor nutritional value. Yeah, it does. It is not classified by the federal government as cheese, but pasteurized prepared cheese product. Yeah, that's like, uh, Pianchi, if you ever go to a, a store and there's, there's fruit juice and then there's fruit juice drink, <laughs> you know, that's basically water and sugar with a little bit of fruit juice in it. But they call it fruit juice drink uh, in a deceptive uh, a labeling. Anyway, it says, but critics pointed, uh, quickly pointed out that the product has poor, oh, here I said that, uh, about $4.5 million of corporate funding from companies like General Mills went to an initiative called the Champions Program, which granted funds to hundreds of non-governmental organizations, <laughs> the same folks bring your illegal aliens to you, like Catholic charities, right, uh, to support projects promoting healthy eating and active lifestyles for children and their families. Well, obviously, this, they're not working because everybody's getting fat on sugar that is promoted by these so-called academic or, or independent government agencies, which are all on the take. That's like the CDC saying the vaccine is safe and effective when they're making a fortune off Pfizer. And we all know they're, they're killing people. It's the same stuff. So they're killing you with sugar and big pharma kills you with, uh, with vaccines. They're still killing you same way. And they're making money off it. It says the Academy didn't respond to specific questions from the Guardian. This is a leftist news magazine. So this is interesting anyway, because the, you know, they believe in people too. Uh, it says, but directed its response to the study on the website. It denied wrongdoing, said the study contains factual errors, and said the study takes its financials out of context. Oh, really? It said stringent guidelines are in place to prevent corporate influence on its programming. <laughs> no, they're not. The Academy added that corporate funding only makes up a small part of the revenues and independent firm uh, manages the stock portfolio. Yeah. Through their uh, assumptions, omissions, and distortions, the authors of the report have done a serious disservice to the Academy, our members, and the entire nutrition and dietetics profession. It says, yeah, the document only surfaced because Martin, a former Academy president who works for the public uh, school district in Georgia, used her school email (laughs) for Academy business, which meant the communications were subject to a Freedom of Information Act. Yeah, if you're going to be a stooge for for corporations, don't use your your government email. (laughs) Okay. So then I got this other article, which is, uh, well, let me take a comment from Pianchi. So are you, I was a little, a little surprised, but a little not surprised to learn that the exact same stuff that Big Pharma does with the FDA uh, and the CDC, Big Food does with so-called nutritional institutes, government nutrition you know, agency standards, that kind of stuff. That'd be the FDA, too, because it's the Food and Drug Administration. So they're affecting the food thing just the way the drug folks are affecting it by paying them money and getting the results they want. It's all a racket. The industry pays, the government certifies, the industry makes money. I'm sorry, go ahead. Pharmacy is a little bit different because nobody is physically threatening you if you don't eat this or making you eat things that uh, you don't want to eat. So there's a little bit different there. Oh, it's definitely different. But nobody's – but what's the same, though? If you don't take the shot, you don't – if you don't take the shot, you're going to lose your job. Yeah, but that's so illegal. They can't do if that. you don't eat some kale, you're going to lose your job. No, no. See, what they're doing there is blatantly illegal. What the, what the, the government, corporate, pharma, you know, fascist amalgamation has become is blatantly illegal. They cannot mandate you take a medical product into your body. That violates informed consent. That violates, uh, you know, life, liberty, happiness, and all that kind of stuff. You know, so none of that stuff is illegal. It violates yeah, but, due process. But they, but they did do it. Look at Lori. Oh, yeah, I know, but she what they do... What, now, compare that to food. Compare mm-hmm. that to food. There's nothing going on like that with food. What happened with Laurie? Are we talking about our talk show friend? And can we talk about her without her being here? Well, yeah, she just came on and explained. 
what uh, she went through. Not only her, you got other people too. Look at New York; they've got to uh, reimburse uh, some. Of, not New York, but look at the army; they've got to reimburse some of the soldiers that they uh, expelled because they wouldn't take the jab. But well, they're gonna have to pay them all. Yeah, with food. Yeah. I told people. I told people. I said, get out of the military, leave your job. They're gonna have you back because they can't afford to train an entire, you know, company of new people. And so the government's going to re- revoke this. And when they revoke it, they're going to have to pay people back. Just like when the government closed, they pay all the employees back uh, who were laid off. You know, I mean, I don't think they should do that. They don't have to lay off, but they do. But uh, yeah, if you were, if, I mean, all the, especially when Trump comes back, I think all these folks will be, uh, they'll get their money back. They'll get their jobs back. They'll get back pay. Yep. Yeah, but here's the thing, though. The, it's different because of the mandates. You're right, but the mandates are illegal. But look at what's the same. You've got trusted, allegedly, government uh, agencies or private institutions being paid by the very people they're supposed to report on and do studies on and regulate. So that's, that's a huge conflict of interest. So if you can't trust the, the nutrition when they say, you know, the FDA recommendations is on every label, of every food product you can think of, unless it's like a natural fruit or vegetable. They haven't, uh, they haven't branded you know, the actual uh, produce yet with, uh, with barcodes and QR codes, but they probably will one day. Anyway, but, but short of that, every product that comes in a package um, has a Food and Drug Administration nutrition label on it. Well, if you can't trust that, if the daily recommendations are wrong, if the amounts are wrong, you can't make an informed decision. And if those results are wrong because big food paid to say that uh, the average daily allowance of sugar is, you know, 100 grams higher than it should be, that's where the problem comes in. And people are getting, you know, we know people are getting more obese. We know people are, are getting more diabetes. We know all kinds of things are happening now. And how much of that is happening? Because people simply have bad information. I don't know. We'll bring it back. Yes, well, mute. it's a lot of things happening, but will they admit, or will they call it another, uh, another conspiracy? Well, I don't think it matters if they admit or not, but I think what we need to do is take the money out of, uh, out of these institutions or get independent. See, this is why I like going to independent people. So if I went to – remember when Chansey was on the show, Chansey Terry, uh, some of the other folks. If, if, if we went to them as independent consultants who aren't taking money from big food, I think we're going to get a lot better uh, answer than if we go to uh, you know, a dietitian that, whose budget is supplemented um, for, for – they're being paid to say certain things about certain products. See, that's the difference. So let's talk about sugar. <laughs> Just, we've got a little bit, about half an hour left, and then we'll, uh, uh, we actually made it through the whole show today. I'm kind of surprised. Uh, so this is from Medical News Today, and this is, if I can find you a date and an author, yeah, it must be here somewhere, probably at the bottom of the article. Maybe it's just from them. So Medical News Today, how do processed foods affect your health? It says processed foods such as ready meals, baked goods, and processed meats can have negative health effects. Most food needs some most food needs some degree of processing. Well, that's interesting. And not all processed foods are bad for the body. However, chemically processed foods, also called ultra-processed foods, well, that's interesting, tend to be high in sugar, artificial ingredients, refined carbohydrates, and trans fats. Because of this, they are a major contributor to obesity and illness around the world, mostly in our country. In recent decades, ultra-processed food intake has increased dramatically worldwide. These foods now account for 25 to 60% of a person's daily energy intake, 
throughout much of the world. Well, it's not, it's not mine, I'll tell you that. I eat very little processed. But the other thing I eat processed are and minimally processed, yogurt and cheese. <laughs> I think that's about it. Oh, salad dressing. Okay, that, yeah, that's processed. So that's my downfall, right? But other than that, it's pretty natural stuff. Anyway, it says in recent decades, okay, here we go. This article looks at how processed foods can affect a person's health and what to avoid. The term processed food can cause some confusion because most foods are processed in some way. Medical, mechanical processing, such as grinding beef, heating vegetables, or pasteurizing foods, does not necessarily make foods unhealthful. If the processing does not add chemicals or ingredients, it does not tend to lessen the healthfulness of the food. Well, heat does. When you pasteurize milk, you get rid of some of the good bacteria. When you, when you cook honey, for example, this is why raw honey is always better, you, you reduce the enzymes. So cooking can be a problem. I think it is. If you boil as opposed to steam your food, you know, boiling takes out all the nutrition. Boiling is the worst thing you can do for food. Anyway, uh, but it also keeps it pure from the, you know, various other, the nasty little buggies out there. It says, however, there's a difference between mechanical. Okay, there we go. Chemically processed foods often only contain refined ingredients and artificial substances with little nutritional value. They tend to have to add, they tend to have added chemical flavoring agents, colors, and sweeteners. <laughs> we, we, we should talk about ground up bugs here in a minute. <laughs> you know, talk about process, right? Uh, and it says uh, these ultra-processed foods are sometimes called cosmetic foods. Well, that's interesting, as compared with whole foods. Some examples of ultra-processed foods include, let's see how many people eat those, frozen or ready meals, yeah, once in a while, baked goods, including pizzas, cakes, and pastries, not much anymore, but rarely, packaged breads, yeah, baked too, processed cheese products, mm, processed cheese, I guess so, breakfast cereals, no, crackers and chips, no, candy and ice cream, dark chocolate, instant noodles and soups, occasional soup, Reconstituted meals, meats such as sausages, nuggets, fish fingers, and processed ham, almost never. Sodas and other sweetened drinks, never. Pianki, how's that list for you? Let me do it again. Are you thinking? Are you writing? What are you thinking of writing? Well, I'll tell you. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a chore. Well, I'll have... I'll have an occasional frozen meal. I mean, I usually keep like one or two around just in case I'm really hungry and I don't feel like making anything. So let's, let's say one a month. <laughs> well, I eat a lot frozen or ready meal. So that's like 12 a year. That's not a lot. Baked goods, including pizza, cakes, and pastries, almost. Well, pizza would be the one. Uh, and that's, that's very rare too, but it's got to be, uh, you know, a thin crust and, uh, you know, good stuff on it. So, but cakes and pastries, I would say, Never to almost, well, almost never. I, I've had a cookie occasionally. Um, packaged breads. Are, are you a bread person? I'm not. I think I have maybe two bagels a month. <laughs> this is my bread intake, right? Uh, but you know, here's the thing. Uh-huh. People can use the same analogy like they do when it comes to abortion. My body, my choice. Well, I'm not saying it's wrong. Oh, I don't I'm, think that that I'm not saying it's illegal, but I'm saying there's a financial. It's totally different than the abortion question because you can choose to eat anything you want. If it's on, if it's on the shelves, you know, it's fair game. I'm just saying that, you know, the problem is that people are being influenced by money to the very agencies that they're counting on to make their decisions. The food and drug, you know, the recommended daily allowance. Let's take that, for example. So you look on your label and it says recommended daily allowance of salt. You know, 1,000 milligrams. I'm just making this up. What if, the rec- what if the real allowance should be 500 milligrams? And they've actually doubled it because, you know, companies that make soup and stew 
and other canned and frozen things put so much salt in their food to preserve it that uh, they've raised the, the recommended daily allowance so that people will buy it. Whereas if the recommended daily allowance was 500 milligrams and it takes 1,000 milligrams to make a frozen pizza, then people aren't going to buy it because it's outside the recommendations. Well, I don't think really the percentage of people that are paying attention of that information is very nil to none. I pay attention to I mean, it. Think about it. I am. There you go, you, talking about yourself. Well, I, I have to talk about myself. I'm the only person that I know that well. <laughs> you know, but why? But well, well, let's talk about yourself. You know, how much processed food? And you don't have to admit. I mean, it's a personal question. You don't have to. You know, obviously, because uh, we're on the air. But um, in terms of of these processed products, so the processed cheese. Uh, you know, does that does cheddar? Does that count as a processed cheese? What would be an unprocessed cheese? Are we talking about well, like you know, craft singles that are like cheese whiz or some of those other artificial products? No, I never, well, you know, some things I never have liked. I will pull, pull a candy bar off the, uh, as I go through the checkout line, Snickers mm-hmm. with almonds, yeah, because I like them. Now, yeah. will I, I may go a month, mm-hmm. you know, eating them occasionally, but then from then I probably won't touch them again for another year, but that's still a personal choice. Mm-hmm. And unlike vaccines, the way we just experienced it, where you had your job at stake, if you proved that you had taken a vaccine, well, mm-hmm. I, I doubt very seriously they would put the same thing and put your job at stake unless you can prove that you had some organic uh, lettuce in a salad. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, let's, let's put aside the mandates because the mandates are illegal. But if you just talk about the recommendations, the CDC is recommending that everybody get a COVID shot every year or, or a series of shots and boosters. Now, they're not mandating it. They're just recommending it. But because the CDC is recommending it, a lot of jobs are going to mandate it. And that should be illegal because that's not based on sound medical stuff because the COVID jab, as we know, is dangerous. But if you well, want I to take think that, that I, as much... Uh-huh. As much attention should be given to a source that recommends that you don't take no shots. That's where the balance, see, you don't have a balance. If the CDC put out five recommendations, then another source should put out five recommendations saying you should not take a shot. See, that's what the information would handle that pretty well. But we know that those of us that put out different things. I mean, I had, you know, I had Dr. Zelenka with me on a Facebook group and we got disabled for talking about ivermectin. You know, so, so it only works, a free society only works when there's the free exchange and the free uh, to open, and society's open to information, both good and bad. And if it's wrong, then the way you counter that is with information that's, that's correct. And say, I think that's wrong and here's my evidence and here's my study and here's my, uh, here's my logic and here's my reasoning. So if someone, so the CDC recommends, you know, the something, uh, you know, the COVID shot every year, then, uh, you know, doctors for, you know, pure health, <laughs> I'm just making that group, you know, could come out and say, we think the CDC is wrong. We don't think you should have a COVID shot every year. Because once you've had COVID, you're, you're pretty much immune to it. You might have a relapse, but it's going to be less than the first time. And uh, you don't need a COVID shot. So if they did that, um, and that were freely available to people, <clears throat> then that's the counter. That's good. But if the CDC blocks it and big tech says you can't report that because we, we want everybody to know that they should have a COVID shot. Well, that's a restriction of information and that's the crime. And then people can't, can make good decisions. Well, you know, uh-huh. It's just like Facebook. If you want to appeal a decision, it doesn't mm-hmm. tell you how, nor show you how. 
<laughs> you have to go through pages and pages of this, that, and the other, but there's nothing that directly takes you to push this, then fill out this form. There's mm-hmm. nothing there. Is no there. Appeal. There's no appeal to Facebook. No. So, and, you know, these people are, this is the type of devious, demonic, mm-hmm. one-sided controls that entities like Facebook and Meta want to have over the citizenry. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, that needs to be, you know, this well, we, stuff like well, that would go on with other countries because they would put them out of business. <laughs> but we have a we have a bill that does that. We have a big tech bill, which I just got to, you know, Christina Bob, you know, attorney, a journalist, uh, a lawyer, a marine officer. You know, we just we did a major thing yesterday getting the bill. I mean, there's a good chance that Donald Trump's going to read that big tech bill. And he's going to see that we can cure the problem by changing three lines in the federal code. You don't think that's going to have an impact on everything we're talking about well, right now in terms would. of information? Well, let's find out. We don't know yet. I'm going to get a copy of it and post it every place okay. I can yeah. and let people know this is uh, what we need to do because these social media platforms don't allow mm-hmm. you to, how dare you, how dare you say that we're doing something wrong. I dare every day. <laughs> Why do you think they're censoring me? You know, that's the same thing it is with these Democratic politicians when oh. it comes down with black voters. How dare you say you're conservative? How dare you say you support Donald Trump? How dare you say you are anti-that you are pro-life? Yeah. Yeah. How dare you try and restrict me from my views? How dare you, you know, think that you have power over me or that you're more correct simply because your view is different? And you know, I can say the same thing to them. But I find this food thing interesting. But the thing is, is people don't mm-hmm. say the same thing to them the way yeah. they should be said. Oh, I agree. That's where it facts on the top. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Let's, I want to go back to this article. I want to kind of uh, go through this. This is really quite fascinating because I didn't think of these as, as ultra-processed foods. So frozen or ready meals. So, again, occasionally, occasionally I have frozen stuff. Baked goods, almost never. Uh, some of the other ones here. Uh, breakfast cereals. I used to have breakfast cereal every day. Uh, and then I went to, I went as a kid from, you know, Captain Crunch and Fruit Loops, right, <laughs> which is just pure sugar, uh, to uh, the healthy cereals, you know, shredded wheat, granola, things like that. And I've given up entirely. I haven't had a cereal in four years, maybe, maybe five. You know, when I found out that the wheat itself wasn't that good for you and that how much sugar is in there, uh, even in, in natural cereals. So I don't eat, I don't eat cereals at all. Uh, crackers and chips, uh, once in a great while, but not, you know, like one or two. <laughs> You know, candy and ice cream. I don't eat candy. I do eat dark chocolate and ice cream. I don't, I don't have a problem with ice cream. I know it's sugar, but you can get natural ice cream. You can get ice cream that's say you get ice cream made from organic milk, organic sugar. Um, what would the problem with that be? And the dairy fat's good for you. So well, I think and the Ukraine is known for wheat. Why come they not die? Say that again. I say the Ukraine is known for wheat production, growing uh-huh. and producing. Why come they not die? Well, they probably don't get enough of it. <laughs> you know, but bread is a starch, and a starch breaks down into sugar. So when you're eating bread, you're eating sugar. So wheat is a staple. Wheat is in all kinds of things. You know, all the baked goods have wheat because wheat makes flour. So anything that has flour has wheat in it, unless you're using corn flour or some other grain for flour. Maybe there's barley flour. I don't know. I'm not that, I'm not that well versed in it. But I would say that most of the world's wheat, uh, most of the world's flour comes from wheat, and most of, the, of that is bleached. But if you get natural wheat, you know, uh, and, uh, you know or, or brown flour as opposed to white flour, but even now they're finding that uh, brown bread isn't, isn't 
that much more healthy for you, but it may even have more problems. I learned that recently too. So then it says, let me just go back to our medical news today. You ever had says, French bread? I love French bread, especially in France. Yeah, well, French eat bread all the time, every meal. Mm, they have wine with every meal too, pretty much. The French live a long, oh, healthy yeah. life. They have wine with every so, meal. Mm-hmm. Well, and the Germans drink beer all the time, but the German beer is, there's only four ingredients allowed in German beer, water, uh, malt, uh, barley, and hops. So they don't like, so Americans, we have chemical beer. We have natural beer and we have chemical beer, but in Germany, you can't do that. They're very strict about it. Well, so, it's so the same way can, with tobacco. Uh-huh. There's nothing wrong with smoking tobacco. It's the ingredients, it's the, uh, what do they call those things that they put in it? Oh, the additives? The chemicals they put in tobacco. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they also put saltpeter into the paper itself, so it'll burn. You know, otherwise you'd have to keep, like a cigar, you have to keep relighting. Cigars don't have saltpeter in the wrapping. So a cigar, if you don't smoke it, it goes out. Same thing with a pipe. Saltpeter is a component of gunpowder. I know it is. <laughs> Maybe the cigar will blow up. <laughs> well, saltpeter also has a, you know, has an effect on, on men. It's like a birth control. <laughs> you know, there's another guy that did. I watched that in the, in the you movie. You know, uh, uh-huh. You know, on the thing of saltpeter, you know, an entrepreneur that supplied saltpeter to both sides of the Civil War was a black man. Well, that's interesting. Interesting entrepreneur. Yeah, well, I, I, that, I think that happens a lot. I mean, the people, the, the, the bankers, the military industrial complex, the entrepreneurs, they don't care which side wins. They just care that both sides buy the product. It's kind of interesting. Let me, let me go back to our, our food study here. This is, it says, our processed foods bad for you? It says, ultra-processed foods tend to taste good and are often inexpensive. However, they usually contain ingredients that could be harmful if consumed in excess, such as saturated fats, added sugar, and salt. These foods also contain less dietary fiber and fewer vitamins than whole foods. This is one large study involving more than 100,000 adults found that eating 10% more ultra-processed foods was associated with above a 10% increase in the risks of cardiovascular disease, coronary heart disease, and cerebrovascular disorders. I guess that's brain stuff. The researchers uh, reached this conclusion after accounting for saturated fat, sodium, which is salt, sugar, and fiber intake. Another large study involving almost 20,000 adults found that eating more than four servings of processed foods daily was linked with an increased risk of all-cause mortality. For each additional serving, all-cause mortality risk increased by 18%. So in other words, you are what you eat. <laughs> if you eat death, it's going to bring you death. You know, but uh, this is, this, you know, and I, one thing that I found that was really cool, this is good to know. You don't want to have my heart surgery six years ago. The one thing the doctors told me was, hey, dude, your, article, your arteries are clear. I'm like, really? That's good to know. I figured I, I had like some buildup because I was in my 50s, right? Uh, and I said, nope, your arteries are just fine. I'm thinking, because I've eaten all my life, you know, fish, eggs, chicken, vegetables, fruits, very little processed stuff, very little red meat, and um, my arteries are clear. That, that was good to know. How do I know? Because they looked. <laughs> they, they looked right into them as part of my uh, heart surgery stuff. Back to you, Pianchi. Oh, he's thinking. Well, I'm happy to know that you're health-wise doing pretty well. Well, I want to be around a long time. I'm doing my best. I'm going to go to the gym after the what? show today. What's that? Yeah, the uh, this whole whole thing about eating quote unquote healthy. Mm-hmm. I know some people. I guess we all going to say that. But Greg, Dick Gregory was supposed to live to be 150. And he just previously died, and mm-hmm. some other people. So I think it's a little bit more to it than that. Well, because you, you, you got societies around the world. You got that you know, one society in the Himalayas, those people live, what, to be 120, 130? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, they're called Blue Zones. Uh, Dorothy Diana was talking about that the other day, Blue Zones. There's one in uh, Honduras. Uh, I think that's the place she visited. So Blue Zone is a place where people live over 100, and they're happy and healthy, and they, they do pretty well. Um, but, uh, but it's interesting uh, that, uh, yeah, so a lot of it's genetics. I mean, my genetics are pretty good because, you know, both my parents are so genetically diverse, <clears throat> different parts of the world, different, different genetic makeup, different, uh, different everything, different blood types, the whole bit. So that, that accounts for it too. But uh, I also, you know, took care of myself too. And I still had to have heart surgery, but that was genetic. That, I was born with a, you know, with a valve that didn't fit properly. So, you know, hey, that's okay. They found out and fixed it. So it says the next one is added sugar. Processed foods tend to contain uh, added sugar and often high fructose corn syrup. Yeah, that, make sure you never put that in your body. Uh, and you can tell the labels, but just no high fructose corn syrup. Even good foods, you know, vegetables in, in jars and stuff will have high fructose corn syrup added, especially the pickled ones. So says added sugar contains no essential nutrients, but is high in calories. Regularly consuming an excess of added sugar can lead to compulsive overeating. That's interesting. So sugar makes you eat more sugar. Hmm. It's also linked with health conditions such as obesity, metabolic syndrome, type 2 diabetes, and inflammatory diseases. Yeah, that's, it's not the cholesterol that clogs your arteries. It's the inflammation that swells your arteries. He says processed foods and beverages are among the major sources of added sugar in the diet. Sweetened beverages are a particularly significant source. People tend to consume such much more sugar than they realize in soft drinks. Well, I don't even drink soft drinks, so that's not a consideration. Cutting down on added sugar by drinking, by drinking sparkling water and soda, for example, is a quick and effective way to make diet more healthful. So how's your sugar, Pianchi? You doing well? You don't have to admit that. I'm well, doing pretty well. It, it like, you know, funny thing about the body, because the body is a marvelous thing, to put it in so few words. But from time to time, it will let you know, hey, look, we need this because of the complex systems in your body that's working. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're running out of this. It's just like on a battlefield. Look, we're running out of hand grenades. We're running out of uh, uh, 50-caliber rounds, mm-hmm. and it will let you know. And yep. you may try to walk by something, and all of a sudden you find yourself reaching out for it, and uh, you grab it, and you say, you know, I have never wanted to. I've been having an urge for uh, Snicker candy bars here for the last few days. Well, that's your body saying it's something in that candy bar that it wants. Well, yeah. I mean, go have a Snickers. I mean, I, I, I like Snickers. I used to, you know, have more than I have now. That's for sure. Uh, Snickers are good. I'm enjoy, you know, um, what else? Uh, Kit Kats. <laughs> you know, I even like some of the Canadian candies I grew up with, uh, Coffee Crisp. Um, some of those other ones that, you know, uh, that are like air. <laughs> some of, in Australia, they have something called a violet crumble, which is like a, you know, a honey tasting chocolate thing. So yeah, I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm parsonized, but I just don't have a lot of them. A lot less than I did, you know, now, now it's dark chocolate. And dark chocolate is actually good for you because it has flavonoids and dark chocolate has a lot less sugar, but you got to watch the dark chocolate because when you get over 90% uh, with lint, and I think it's 86% with Ghirardelli, they start reducing the quality, the, the quantity. So if you get, uh, if you get 72% uh, cocoa, uh, it's probably going to be 3.5 ounces. Lint does it up to 90. Uh, Ghirardelli up to 86. After 86, um, actually 86 is reduced like 3.17 ounces. And then I think uh, they're 100% is like 2.5 ounces. So all that extra is sugar. So if you, you know, once they start reducing it, this is why I get 90% chocolate. 
because it's 3.5 ounces. So I'm getting my money's worth, even though there's a little bit of sugar in there, but not a whole lot. But the, the bigger bar, the, the bars that are less sugar, less, you know, 5% less sugar means the bar is only 3.717 ounces as opposed to 3.5. So that's like 20, 20%. Anyway, artificial ingredients. I've got a few minutes left. I want to finish more of this if I can. The ingredients list on the back of processed food packages is often full of unrecognizable substances. <laughs> Some are artificial chemicals mm. that the manufacturer has added to make the food more palatable. Highly processed foods often contain the following types of chemicals. Preservatives, which keep the food from going bad quickly. Yeah, so eat your food fast. Get fresh food, eat it quickly, right? Artificial coloring, chemical flavoring, and texturing agents. What's that stuff they use? The emulsifiers, I think that is. Like peanut butter is full of emulsifiers, so the, the peanut oil doesn't separate from the peanut butter itself. So on that, that's how you can tell natural peanut butter because all, all the oil is on the top. This is also processed foods contain dozens of additional chemicals that are not listed on their labels. What? <laughs> processed foods can contain dozens of additional chemicals that are not listed on their labels. That should be illegal. They probably bought that from, from the FDA. For example, it says artificial flavor is a proprietary blend. Manufacturers do not have to disclose exactly what it means. It is usually a combination of chemicals. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Uh, official organizations have tested most food additives for safety, though the use of these chemicals remains controversial among doctors and researchers. So this is artificial flavor. That could be any number of artificial ingredients. That was interesting. What do you think? And then we'll get to uh, refined carbohydrates. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. Carbohydrates are an essential component of any diet. However, carbs from whole foods provide far greater health benefits than refined carbohydrates. That's actually being challenged right now. They're saying that, that, that uh, you know, whole grain bread is not healthier than white bread. I find that interesting. It says the body breaks down refined or simple carbohydrates quickly, leading to rapid spikes in blood sugar and insulin levels. That's pancreas, right? And this is what uh, diabetes gets involved with. It says when these levels... When these levels then drop, the person may experience food cravings and low energy. Yeah, there you go. Because refined carbs cause frequent increases and decreases in blood sugar, consuming them is linked with an increased risk of type 2 diabetes. Highly processed foods often are high in refined carbohydrates. Healthful sources include whole grains, vegetables, fruits, beans, and pulses. I'm not sure what a pulse is. This is low in nutrients. Ultra processed foods are very low in essential nutrients compared with whole or minimally processed foods. In some cases, manufacturers add synthetic vitamins and minerals to replace nutrients lost during processing. It doesn't even count the soil that's overgrown. However, whole foods provide additional helpful compounds uh, that ultra-processed foods don't. So we've got that here, low in fiber. We're talking about that, you know. Uh, healthful, high-fiber foods, legumes, vegetables, fruits, nuts and seeds, and whole grains, all of which I eat, although I limit the whole grains. Then they've got quick calories transects. I'm kind of bored with this. <laughs> I think I've talked to you about enough about food. Well, Summary, here we go. Type 2 diabetes, okay. we, we have to credit the Neanderthal for uh, having type 2 diabetes, that is, uh, Homo sapiens sapiens. Why is that? Because Homo sapiens sapiens made it with bread with Neanderthal, and the gene was passed on to the offspring from Wait a Neanderthal. Minute. If I, I'm going to move my microphone, so you might hear a little noise here as I do this. I'm going to drop my microphone down a bit. Oh, that's actually better. Maybe I'll, tell, maybe I'll keep it down here. Um, I, had too many, I had three books under my microphone. Now I only have two. This makes more sense to do it this way. All right. So as I understand the evolution of, of humans, we got a, we're the Homo sapiens. Before us was the Cro-Magnon. Before them was the Neanderthal. And I don't know who was before them. Australopithecus? 
How does how does human evolution go? Australopithecus you know, was ape like. <clears throat> well, okay. people don't like to claim it. So that's way. We back. all come okay. from the ocean. Everything comes from the ocean. Well, that, yeah. At one point, yeah, that makes sense. Well, here's the question though. So, have I got this right? I'm pretty sure the evolution of us. You know, we're we're are we Homo erectus or Homo sapien, or is Homo sapien the general term? We sapien sapien. Okay, so Homo before us was sapien. before us was Cro-Magnon, which people call Cro-Magnon, but Cro-Magnon, right? Then Cro-Magnon. You had Homo sapien before that. You had erectus. Then you had uh, the ones that crawled around on both hands, both feet. Cro-Magnon was a person that supposedly came along and was able to use tools, rocks, really. So they were the Ice Age humans, or how long ago were they here? Well, Homo sapiens is about 200,000 years old, roughly. Okay. All right. So I've got the Smithsonian Human Evolution Interactive Timeline. Ooh, here we go. Uh, see if I can make it a little brighter here. Let's take a look at this. Here we go. Um, so, the mutation. White skin is a mutation. Yeah, it is. So they've got. Uh, I mean, it's oh, not nothing derogatory. It's just the way uh, things happen. Okay, so they got Australopithecus four million years ago. This is Smithsonian Institution, the Human Evolution Interactive Timeline. <clears throat> so Australopithecus four million years ago. Uh, Homo habila about two million years ago. Let me see if I can find ones we recognize. Homo habilis. Homo erectus was uh, on one point like seven million years ago. Where's Neanderthal? I don't say. Now, I'm with the terms I'm familiar with. I've got to find another one. Let me get you another timeline here. Christians had brought about the ability to uh, make things be looked at in a whole different perspective. It's pretty okay. accurate. Look. So here we go. So they start with this. So I got one here from uh, that biologist. This is Lucy. Nearly all experts agree. Well, of course, we don't know that for sure. Lucy was just three foot tall uh, chimpanzee. So they start from the chimpanzee on this, this particular timeline, which is interesting. Then they say Heidelberg man, um, built from a jawbone that was uh, conce- conceded by many to be quite human. Uh, looks interesting. Uh, Nebraska man is the next one, scientifically built up from a tooth. Pilt down man, jawbone turned into something else. Uh, some, of those man. Was, some of those was, some of those were fictitious because they used the jawbone of an ape and put it in uh, the skull of a human. Yeah, I'm not saying it's accurate. I'm saying like, yeah, but it's got a timeline here. So Peking man, which would be Beijing man today, uh, was uh, half a million years ago. So 500,000 years ago, they said Peking man was here. Looks kind of human. Uh, Neanderthal or Neanderthal, depending on who you talk to. Uh, they don't give a timeline. Then they have New Guinea man, and then they have Cro-Magnon. Uh, they're not saying what that is, and then they have modern man. Okay. I need to find a timeline. They're not giving me... I need, I need dates. You know, I'm I can, there's a bunch of timelines here. This is kind of interesting. But no one's giving me you know, when they were around. Huh. Well, the thing is, people have to recognize, people don't like to recognize, especially people from a biblical perspective. You know, mm-hmm. before that, you had the apes, the great apes. Mm-hmm. And human, what we call today, going into the Ostracopithecus, uh, matter of fact, it was an Australian guy that found that, 
Uh-huh. It had something to do with it. That's why I come in mean, as a prefix of the word Austria in it. But no, yeah. the Great Apes. Uh-huh. Great Apes uh, was the evolution into what we modern into human beings. Yes, along the way. Well, and and who's to say that uh, you know evolution isn't still going on? And evolution is an act of creation. See, I don't it see is. any compatibility. Yeah, I don't see an incompatibility. This is something we should talk to you about Wendy. You know, and, uh, uh, we'll get her going here. So in other words, so in other words, to me, you know, uh, I don't believe that the the Earth is some cosmic accident that everything was created, you know, kind of by chance. That that makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. The universe is way too complex. The laws of physics too complex. So I absolutely believe in the intelligent design that this was put together with a purpose with a higher power. That makes sense to me. I can't explain it any other well, way. Well, the thing is, however, is that. Uh-huh. The thing is, one thing nobody knows, but when you look at it, it's always the possibility that something should have went left and it went right, and bah, voila, you got what you have. Yeah, but but here's but who's to say that you know I mean if the Earth was created in seven days and as I I've asked folks this I asked my daughter you know when when she was younger are those God days or Earth days you know what is a day? Well, ancient ancient Egyptian calendar had ten day weeks. Uh huh. Well, they found that didn't work. Had thirty six day had thirty six ten day weeks. Mm-hmm. And five extra days at the end, basically for party. <laughs> well, what's interesting is that and those the, the you can see seven, today. Yeah, but seven days work. That's what racism. That's where the. I don't know. If you want to call it racism? I guess you could, because mm-hmm. you're denying one group uh, their authenticity in the evolution of of humankind because they totally mm-hmm. disregard that. Yep. That these people had a uh, had a ten day week calendar, so that would mm-hmm. dispel about God making the world in six days and resting on the seventh. No, it doesn't dispel that. It just it, It's just that the, I remember the, the people tried that. I think the Russians or the Chinese uh, communists also tried a 10-day week because they wanted more work out of people. And what they found is it didn't work. Human beings need yeah, a seven-day week. With, when you put it with saying that God made man and everybody else in six days, well, uh-huh. it just don't play. I don't, because, like I said, these people have 10-day weeks. Uh, thousands of years before this concept of creation as found in Genesis even came about. Yeah, but that doesn't change the creation just because someone else arbitrarily put it in a 10-day week. I mean, our calendar didn't have July and August until Julius Caesar created July, you know, and Augustus Caesar created August. Those are artificially well, added to our calendar. Our calendar, days, have, people, yeah, our calendar used to have, hold on, hold on. our calendar used to have 10 months of 36 yeah, the days. Yeah, people with the 10-day that's because Julius Caesar was messing with something that already exists. <laughs> but uh-huh. the people that had the 10-day weeks had their creator also of everything. So hmm. their okay. creator of everything is just as legitimate as anybody else that came after them. Well, they can say that the world was created in 10 days. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. I, don't, I consider the creation to be much more fluid than that. I don't think you can define creation in terms of days. So to me, I'm not bothered by somebody that says the world was created in seven days. There were 24 hours, and that's the way the world is. Okay. Well, they, they didn't say it was created in 10 days. They have a 10-day calendar based on their mm-hmm. observation of the constellation, figuring out that it takes the Earth uh, that length of time to go around the sun. Yep. For 36, they even had 25,000. Uh, they even had a 25,000-year mm-hmm. calendar based on the procession. 
of the earth that we call today the tilting. So those people with their observations was uh, pretty cool. Yeah, well, the, like the Mayan calendar that went up from from uh, I don't Egyptian, know when thousands. Egyptian, Egyptian. Oh, okay, so that yeah, but the calendar's the calendar. I mean, the pyramids weren't the pyramids observational as well as uh, burial. No, they were not observational. Oh, okay. Well, Stonehenge. Let's take Stonehenge for example. I, it's I went to Stonehenge. Huron, House of Fire. Yeah. I mean, the Druids, you know, made Stonehenge thousands of years ago, and that's a calendar. That's a way of measuring. Yeah, now there is a case of thing where things happen simultaneous with people. But, huh. uh, you know, some civilization just came about way before and with a lot of more modernity at that time and still today complex uh-huh. how it was done. I mean, it's, well, it doesn't matter. It's, 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 some people, some but people just but, have those capabilities. I mean, people are free to believe whatever, you know, whatever they want to believe, and it makes sense. But the thing is, when you talk about a creation, you know, it doesn't matter when the story of creation was written, whether the ancient Egyptians had their 10-day week, Christians have a 7-day week. What matters is, is the actual creation itself, uh, you know, and, and when and how that took place. So you can, ter- you can talk about it in terms of days. I don't. And I think creation is still going on. You know, we have species that have come and gone. Well, you we got new evolution, are- evolution that's going to go along. Because you got some species that have went extinct, they go. Uh-huh. At least you can't find them anymore. But but evolution cannot explain an origin of species. It can't define how a new species comes about. Well, they come about through trial and error. I mean, look at you saying mm. both. Look how no, but you, you 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 can have adaptation. This is where this is where people I think you know miss the boat on. Well, we should talk about this more. They they adapt to the environment that they're in because they have to survive. But that's not evolution. Evolution is genetic. Well, sure it is, because if you take somebody out of that, if you take them out of that, if you take them out of that environment and put them someplace else, they're going to have to adapt. But that's that's, that's that. adaptation. That's not evolution. Evolution is a changing of the, the genetic makeup to create an independent species. So what Darwin said was that, you know, the survival of the fittest, the fittest survive, and through mutations, they actually change their genetics into a new species. And I'm saying that doesn't well, work. Well, you know, white skin, white skin mm-hmm. is about 20,000 years old. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, the original Caucasians in the Caucasus Mountains. But um, getting back to just the you last word of evolution, we have to go. You also got people with black skin that stay in the Caucasian Mountains, too. Say that again. So would they? So what would they evolve to? What do you um, mean? You call black people of north have lighter pigmentation over a period of time than those down south. But that's still adaptation, unless you're changing the genetic. Well, I guess maybe the skin color, the the genes change as to how much you know melanin and how much you know skin tone is. But in order to make, in order to make a new species. You have to have genetic makeup where a species, you know, can only mate with itself and create offspring. That's the definition of a species. So the idea that adaptations or changes in genetics, you know, you know, create different looking or different size things, you, unless you can say, unless you can show where a species has been independently created through mutation into something that cannot mate with its original one, and it's a separate independent well, species, I mean, that's what evolution says. And this is what the, the theory uh, kind of falls is apart. Is Homo sapien the same as Neanderthal? Uh, they're not a new species. They're still human. I don't know. 
it all comes down to whether they're genetically independent enough to mate with themselves and create offspring um, or not, <laughs> you know. And, you know, it's like every human being can mate with every other human being, regardless of skin color, background, ethnicity, religion, it doesn't matter because we're all the same species. And then you never would know because who would go to bed with a, a chimpanzee? You don't oh, that know. Sounds, that's Unless disgusting. they tried it. But that's, but that's not going to create an offspring. Well, no, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now, that's what? not disgusting because it had to happen that way. You had to have going for what you call it. Her name is Becknesh. Not Lucy. It was they gave it Lucy. They gave it a name because of Johannesburg was one of the paleontologists was listening to that song Lucy in Disguise, and they gave it <laughs> now a we're getting, name. Now we're getting way off track here. Yeah. Um, all right. <laughs> but all right. she is what for she she's have the qualities of a chimpanzee. You can see her bones today in uh, Addis Ababa. A replica of a bone. And this is this is the first, this is the missing link, the human link to to apes. Are you saying or what? She is being accredited as being the mother of the day's present human. Oh, well, that's interesting. Through mitochondria DNA. Yeah. Okay. But and created a separate species who could not. You know, reproduce with uh, anything else. Well, we not, we not, we we don't. I haven't seen no woman lately that look like her, like <laughs> she was. Probably a good thing. All right, listen, let's 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 uh, let's go for this week. We're going to be back Monday. Uh, this week was an incredible week. A whole bunch of good stuff got accomplished, and we're going to start again next week and see who other uh, other folks we can attract to the show, other issues, other bills, and uh, things I want to look into. Robert Spencer said something really interesting when he was on this week about an issues-based election as opposed to a candidate-based election. I want to explore that more with him. Pianke, I might need your help with that. I think that's something we should talk about next week. But on that note, good day, sir. Have a wonderful weekend, and we'll talk to you Monday. All right. Take it easy and be careful. I will, usually, <laughs> most yeah, of the time. Greg Fangless for Action Radio at blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Our legislative website is right. <clears throat> excuse me. I guess my voice is going a little bit. Writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. And our, our, uh, our place to help us out is givesendgo.com. That's givesendgo.com. I'll be back Monday morning, Monday at 7 o'clock with our usual craziness. And then we have Jonathan uh, with the legal report and Dorothy with the sex and sensuality report. And I will see you all then. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grave Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gravecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gravecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Grave Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Well, that sounds good. Even better. 
Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive. Conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida. Right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.